Gilbert Burns is the new guy now. Tyron Woodley's a bit gun shy now. With the fire selections and the fire reflections, this is fighting with myself. Oh oh oh, fighting with myself. Oh oh oh, yeah. Welcome to the Fighting with Myself podcast, the podcast for the above average MMA fan, hosted by an above average man. And I'm that man. My name is Juice. And today's episode is a little bit different than usual. So I usually do this alone, but I was uh, so thankful and grateful uh, and so lucky, really, to, to have been joined by uh, one of my favorite content creators in our space, Fernanda Praches. Uh, she's a writer for The Athletic, uh, who, in my opinion, is the goat of uh, MMA websites, really. Uh, their stuff is the best. And, uh, and she used to, to do my favorite podcast, Well Actually, and uh, her and I had a, an amazing chat. Uh, we did about an hour and a half. So I, I presented here for you guys. I uh, just wanted to tee it up, and I'll see you on the other side. Ladies and gentlemen, guys and gals, I am joined by the specialist of guests. If you've listened to really any of my shows over the past year that I've been doing this podcast, you probably heard me mention uh, this person's work. I'm a big fan. She is my uh, favorite writer in the MMA space today, and I'm so grateful. She is the host of the the former podcast, Well Actually, a show about MMA and other stuff, and uh, is writing for The Athletic. Please welcome Fernanda Praches. Did I get that right? Yeah, it's perfect. And, aw, favorite writer. Aw. Oh, my God. Uh, I'm like, that's the problem with real life for me now. Like, I've, got, I've gotten accustomed to reacting to everything with gifts. So I would like to <laughs> react to this introduction with the gift. Unfortunately, it's not possible. So just pretend I'm like Elaine Bennis doing that on face. <laughs> yeah, complete with the with the dance, right? With the kicks and the whole thing. Yeah, which by the way, I do a very good impression of. Add that to my uh, list of talents. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I I really mean it because um, you write for the Athletic and. Um, I am so like enamored with the work that you guys do over there because I think so often um, in our sport, people are so quick to want it to be more than what it is. Like, in, in my opinion, I, I don't like to consider MMA a sport. I, I consider it just like I like the word sanctioned violence, which mm-hmm. is obviously like, people say. But I just I think it's a form of under- entertainment that happens to be within the confines of you know rules and and sport in a sense. But I just think there's a lot of cookie cutter broadcasting out there and and like content. And I and I, you know, I kind of try and live my life by a quote that not well not my whole life, but you know, like my professional life, I guess, with with the show and everything, uh, by a quote that um I heard from one of my favorite artists, Saul Williams, a long time ago, which is um, I don't try and give people what I think they want. I give them a piece of myself and hope they can relate. And I'm slightly paraphrasing, but I just whenever I read your work and like Sean Alshadi, Chuck Mindenhall, Chad Dundas, Ben Folks, all those guys, I really think you're doing the content you want. And I think it's so important. Oh my God, I'm going to steal that quote forever. I love it. Yeah, it's 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 very much how I go about my work too and um, how I'm actually allowed to go about my work now, right? Like you said, The Athletic has just such a different way of attacking things that it really allows us to do that. 
like, and I remember somebody asked me, um, I was doing a podcast, the art fight podcast. And they asked me like about my style, like, how did you find your style or whatever? Because as you know, I do a lot of insane shit. Like I'm just going to do a bunch of workouts and talk about it. Like this is <laughs> some shit that makes no sense. And, uh, I say that it, it was really, it's not that I went looking for it, but like, uh, I have obviously my, my way of thinking and writing naturally, but just, uh, at the athletic, which is the idea of do whatever, do what you want to do. Like, how are you feeling about this topic and how do you want to attack it? And just by getting a chance to do that, um, that's how I found my quote unquote voice. I don't, I don't know that I have a voice yet. I feel like I'm still discovering my voice and my style, particularly in English, because it's very different than it is in Portuguese, but just having the liberty and just having someone be like, Hey, there's this thing. Like, do you want to write about it? And how do you want to write about it? Go. That is very liberating. It's very difficult too, because in a way it's easy to be like, you have a format and you have an expectation of how you're going to tackle that, that particular subject. And, you know, that can be boring and soul crushing, but it's also much easier because you have like just a manual and you're not that invested. Uh, when somebody just says, do you boo? <laughs> it's <laughs> also a little, it's <laughs> oppressive in a different way. <laughs> like, Oh my God, I have to have my own ideas. I didn't sign up for this, uh, <laughs> but it's really cool. It's been a very difficult and challenging and uh, really cool experience to be at the athletic. It's going to be one year for me now. So that that's incredible. I can relate to that in a sense of what you said, like the, the, the freedom of, of no structure sometimes is limiting in itself because you, you sometimes want to be tethered down in a way. Like I've been doing my blog for just a few months, uh, mixed martial opinions, a stream of unconsciousness. And, uh, I used to just write about anything I wanted and then I, I kind of ran out of shit to say <laughs> like the last the last time I, I did it. And it's also because like the news cycle is down because of this, because it's you know obviously yeah. MMA based. But um I, I find myself I find myself tweeting out like what do people want to hear about? And someone said Jones and Ghana. So I said, Okay, and then I just sort of did this whole piece that I just sort of went out of thin air and um I, I loved it. Speaking of, of something you mentioned, I want to kind of circle back. You said you're, you're finding your voice in English opposed to Portuguese. And I, I think it's, it's so important. Um, I am like 50% fluent in Spanish. Maybe I'm 60% now that I've been reading Harry Potter in Spanish. I really think my vocabulary has increased, but um, I, I just, I find that when people have to translate in their heads, uh, you know, back and forth, it, it's sort of, everything is through a little bit of a filter. And, and then I, I found that, um, whenever I'm having a conversation with someone in Spanish and then I then go, uh, have a conversation with them in English, even if it's on the same top topic, it's always different. So have you ever like pitched the idea of the athletic of doing a story in Portuguese? I mean, Google translate exists. Like it just maybe a way to get different content out there and maybe approach a new market. Ah, nah. And I, I don't think it would work. And I, I, I never, I, I just don't think that it would at all like you you know americans they don't really they don't even read subtitles that's true <laughs> very good point <laughs> no offense but, yeah even no. when i was that oh. junkie like <laughs> no like even when i was that junkie like and that's a cultural thing right um because the subtitle thing is something that we often joke about because in brazil like 
the way I grew up was reading subtitles because we are consuming American and, you know, like an English speaking culture, right? It is English culture as well. But um, I say American because it's what I sort of grew up on. You just, you, you have to do it because Hollywood is the, the one that's exporting the culture, right? Or the mainstream stuff. Uh, I grew up watching sitcoms. I grew up watching SNL. I grew up watching uh, uh, movies and listening to music in English. So uh, to me, it's so natural. Like I go to the movie expecting to see little letters in the bottom that I'm going to have to read if I want to understand. And now, of course, I don't need it anymore because I already speak the language. But uh, that was life for me, and it was very normal. And then you look at people, and you can joke and mock people for not wanting to read subtitles all you want, but it's a habit. I can understand going your entire life without it, and then being like, fuck that. I don't want to have like that extra work to, <laughs> to deal with. Uh, but it was something like, for instance, that MMA junkie. Fighting those videos, uh, Guilherme Cruz, who is, uh, yes. was my... The other me for <laughs> fighting when I was a junkie, he, he did the same thing for fighting. Um, he subtitles his videos, but with junkie, they didn't really like the subtitles. They would rather have me do voiceovers. Mm. So because it was just more palatable, I guess, to the market, which I understand. It's a little limiting, I think, for people, but I understand. Um, and yes, yeah, like you said, there is a difference. There's a difference in code. I think a lot of people don't understand that translation is not just about putting the words in, the, in another language. I mean, it can be, but that's bad translation because right. you have to reinterpret it. It's not just changing the words. It's reinterpreting exactly. them. It's like repurposing them. So when you actually care about it. And and that's you notice that in the smallest things. Like when I first started working for, for Junkie, like, of course, my beat was the brazilian market so there was a lot of translation involved and i would notice it even in the most basic of translations there is one phrase that you know that will that won't make sense to the american market so you have to put it in a way that does at the same time you don't want to like in uh, like reinterpret too much you don't want to change what the person was originally trying to say it's a very weird balance that's with translation with writing what i had to learn to do was to write thinking in English. I don't write something in my head in Portuguese and then translate as I go along. I have to write in English because otherwise it's just going to be bad writing. Because that's the thing with me particularly. I don't want to just make sense. I want to be a good writer. And in order for you to be a good writer, you have to speak in a way that makes sense to people. So um, I my writing in Portuguese looks entirely different. I think than my writing in English because of that, because I had to adjust even my way of thinking. I have to switch back and forth when I'm writing in, in either language. I love that. And I think it's so important. Uh, like you said, the, the translation isn't just word for word uh, because sometimes it have, you know, different words could have multiple meanings or you want to get the essence and, and make sure it comes across in the same way. Like I was thinking about this when um, Jevesin Figueredo, uh, again, probably wrong pronunciation, um, got his his last win uh, over Joseph Benavides. <laughs> Walid Ishmael uh, translated it, and I speak enough Spanish to know a little bit about Portuguese. And one of the things he said, I remember just hearing Walid Ishmael's uh, translation, being like, "Is that even right? Or did you just say what you want to get across as his manager?" <laughs> that was exactly what he did. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so Valid validating me. I'm so I'm so happy that you that, said that's him. That's Valid. He always does that. Like if you look at um scrums that he translated, and I'm doing air quotes there. I speak with my hands, which is unfortunate for audio. Um he did the when he did the scrum translations for Paulo Costa. Hmm. Um he creatively reinterprets what people are saying. Uh, and that's something I've always spoken up about. I think it's insane that the UFC doesn't have actual translators to do things because, of course, the manager is going to have a freaking conflict of interest. He said what he felt was best to say for his athlete at that point. And I don't think that does anybody any good. Uh, it's hilarious, but <laughs> it does yeah. us good because it's fun to watch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. but, but I don't, I don't like it. I think that uh, first of all, like you're taking away that moment where the athlete has an opportunity to connect with an audience as himself, uh, and I think that hurts people. Like if I always use Jose Aldo as an example because I feel like he's such an, a charismatic person, uh, and I don't feel like people outside of Brazil understand that. Because just the way that he can't connect in English. Um, and of course, having a translator there is going to change the dynamics anyway. But I feel like you need to have a legitimate translator to at least, first of all, he's going to be able to do this thing that we're talking about, which is just not to say words, but to reinterpret them. Because that's a trait that you learn. This is not, it, this is technique. This is something that you have to work on. Not everybody who speaks the languages can do translation. I honestly don't feel like I'm a good translator. I do my best not being a trained person. But anyway, so I feel like the FC should have this neutral person doing that. I always say that. Not yeah. that all managers are bad. Like Alex Davis does a really good job. Like he's usually mm -hmm. very faithful in his translations. Um, Eduardo Alonso, who manages Damian Maia and Shogun, like speaks perfect English, also very good at, at handling those situations. But at the same time, I don't feel like they should even be put in that position. You know, I just, I don't like it. It rubs me the wrong way. So I use your very innocent question to really turn this into a, a rant about something Please I do. Hate, but I miss my podcast. So <laughs> Honestly, anytime you want the platform, it's open to you. Uh, no, I agree. My, my dad was, uh, was an interpreter for the LA federal court. Um, and he would tell me sometimes like, translation is, is hard he actually told me a story one time where but part of what he would do um it wasn't just like in court proceedings and things like that he would go to uh houses to like investigate like work workman's comp claims and th stuff like that and uh he went with this doctor and the the gentleman who was being trying to make the claim was saying how he hurt his hand etc etc and my dad translated it and the doctor looked at uh, my dad and said do you think he's lying <laughs> i mean <laughs> It's just so weird. One of the best um, examples of like I think a really good translation in the UFC is uh, you mentioned Alex Davis. I think he's phenomenal, but I don't know enough about Portuguese to 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 stake that claim. But um, I believe that his name is Ray, the guy that was uh, Yoel Romero's translator. Phenomenal. He would carry that same energy and the passion. It was just so important because they need to be heard in their own voice. And as much as he's not that voice, he is. That's another thing. Yeah, for sure. Like just the inflections, the passion, like what the person is trying to, to, to get across. I feel like you touch on a very good point. That's also very important. That's part of why you fall in love with athletes, right? That's part of why you like them. It's just not even just what they say, how they say them, but uh, your Spanish is obviously a lot better than mine. I am very, getting very good at reading menus though. 
Because <laughs> uh, for those who are listening, I'm in Mexico City with my boyfriend who is Mexican, but he doesn't speak Portuguese and I don't speak Spanish. So we communicate in English, which is hilarious. Uh, but like the menus and stuff, and we are putting subtitles in Spanish and things like that. So I can pick up on it. But your Spanish is uh, a lot better than mine. I could not read Harry Potter. That's for sure. Uh, well, it's been a, it's been a challenge for me. I, I, uh, my wife got me the first three books for Christmas, and uh, I didn't really get a chance to pick them up until the pandemic hit. I had yeah. read like the first chapter or two prior, and then it literally took me the whole basically two months to read the first book. And I'm just like, I'm not even into the school part of the second book. They're still in uh, Diagon Alley, uh, but uh, it's it, it's been a joy because. I'm seeing it from different angles. And, and like you said, the translation is they have to be faithful to the meaning and not just a word for word. So I'm, I'm learning so many new things. There's even like an editor's note um, that says, you know, we use we use different words um, for the word owl because of the different representations of the birds of prey in in the world. And so there's like bujo and the, they, they, uh, they do so many different ones. Oh, that's all. Uh, yeah, uh, I read actually Harry Potter in Portuguese, and they had to like redo the whole thing, like names. Everything is different, right? So uh, now reading things, I'm just like Jesus. I I've actually I would like to one day try uh try to do interpreting, like train for that. Um, that's like probably what I'm gonna do after I'm done with journalism. But I just look at that. I'm like, Jesus, you have to basically create a whole new universe without straying away from the original one. That's insane. Yeah, I love that. I actually I was going to ask you because you, you referenced earlier the Art Fight podcast. And I listened to that when it came out, your, your episode with them. And I re-listened to it in kind of preparation for this. And I forgot the part that you said the houses in, in the Harry Potter <laughs> houses in Portuguese are different because in Spanish they, they don't. And maybe it's just a product of, of, of it being uh, like a North American thing, how a lot of uh, uh, Spanish words get when, when, when the cultures mix, they just yeah. use the English word like yep. la renta instead of aquilar, which is to rent. Um, and so, so in Harry Potter, they're just like, uh, La Casa de Ravenclaw, and they just use the word. So I, I wanted yeah. to like know what are the houses in Portuguese? Oh, wow. That's a good point that you made just because I'm like thinking now and I mentioned this to my boyfriend, like just even walking outside because we're in Mexico City. Uh, I see the mixture between, of course, because it's closer. It's a lot different than Brazil. Like Mexico mm-hmm. is very similar to Brazil in many ways, but it's a lot closer to the American culture. And I see that incorporation that you meant. Um, a lot more than I do with Portuguese. But uh, the house names are Hufflepuff is Lufa Lufa, ah. uh, which means nothing. I just think they thought it, sound, thought it sounded silly and then it might go with the purpose of the house. I don't even know. But it's Lufa Lufa. It means nothing. I'd much rather be a Lufa Lufa than a Hufflepuff, let me tell you. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, true. It doesn't really mean anything. It's just like uh, cute words put together uh as a kid i hated lufa lufa now looking back i'm like ah they were misunderstood uh ravenclaw is corvinal which has to do with the raven yeah it makes sense right like corvo corvinal corvo is raven so yeah like again it's not a i think it could be a word like reference to 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 ravens but i don't it doesn't really ring a bell it's just like the 
origin of yeah. the word. Um, Gryffindor is Gryffinoria, which mm. again means nothing. And uh, Slytherin is Sonserina. 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 Yep. And I don't know what was the reasoning behind it. Sonso in Portuguese means, um, how do I put this? It means a person who, like, sort of mischievous in a way. Mm, yes. Like shady. Yeah, like sh like shady, like sneaky. Um, it's a very specific word that would be a combination of all those things. So, yeah, those would be the houses. Lufa, Lufa, Corvinal, Grifinoide, and Sonserina. Quidditch, like, everything has different names. Wow. Yeah, even in Quidditch, they'll be like, oh, the chasers are chasing the quaffle, and they just use quaffle. But I found my I find myself when I'm reading it, I try to to pronounce it as, as if I was reading Spanish. I'm like quafle. I don't know. I I would have to ask boyfriend. I can actually understand when he speaks. Like he does his live things and he narrates. He's a narrator, and I'm listening. I can sort of understand what he's saying. Like because Portuguese is obviously similar to Spanish. But then when it comes time to speak, solamente cuando estoy borracha. <laughs> A mí también. <laughs> uh, did you <laughs> did you ever watch the uh, season of Tough when uh, uh, they were they were trying to get a, a, a fight for Demetrius Johnson? There was all the flyweight champions. Brandon Moreno and Alexandre Pantoja were conversing in Spanish and Portuguese. No, I didn't see that. They were it's trying so, to like. Yeah, it's so good because they the were. Mix. Yeah, exactly. It was so funny. They um, they were actually you know how they do the seeds sometimes. They mm -hmm. were seated number one and number 16. Uh, Brendan Moreno was 16. And uh, and they were actually talking like before their fight, uh, which I thought was a kind of interesting. That's one of the dynamics of tough where you kind of have to live with your opponents. Yeah. And uh, they were telling like different stories of their like childhood. And at first they were kind of getting it. And it seemed like they were. And I was like, oh, cool. cool. And then uh, Brandon Moreno was saying how his family makes piñatas. And yeah. he was like... You know, like a piñata, and he was explaining, and it was like the kids hit it and candy falls out, and then uh, Alessandro was like, the I don't know, Portuguese, but the subtitle said like, oh, like a pine cone. <laughs> I have no like a piña. He probably yeah. said, yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, and that's funny because like we the word piñata exit like we don't have piñatas in Brazil, but like we would translate it to piñata. Like I don't think we yeah. would. That's crazy. I love it. I have to see it though. This sounds amazing and very similar because a lot of Brazilians will tell you they know how to speak Spanish when they don't. Yeah. <laughs> and we call it Portunhol, that hybrid of Spanish and Portuguese that we use to communicate. I love that. Portunhol. It's almost Portunhol. like Spanglish. It's almost like Spanglish, exactly. Like it's just a, a mix of the two. And it's often a hilarious sight. Like I think that's why I'm embarrassed, like, and I'm shy about Spanish because I just I'm terrified of people thinking of speaking in Portuñol. <laughs> <laughs> so like I'd rather not. Well, I could talk about different languages and, and Harry Potter with you literally all day. Uh, but I, <laughs> but... I want to pivot to um, the fights real quick. We had some amazing yeah. fights last night. In, in Vegas at the Apex. Give me just some of your initial thoughts on it because, uh, you know, we have sort of different rules, you know, what they call the new normal mm -hmm. with with having fights. And um, we, we've seen how that played out in Jacksonville and how they did different things on the pay-per-view versus the, um, I don't know, fight nights. Yeah. And then Nevada, 
closed their doors for a long time and then said, okay, finally we'll open up, but we have more rules we want to put you in place. So what did you think about those that last night or just the fights in general? Uh, full disclosure, I drank like a full bottle of wine while watching the event. So I, yes. I got progressively drunk. Uh, not everything is a very clear memory, but I, well, I thought the the rules were much better enforced than they were in Jacksonville. Like we mm-hmm. saw everybody wearing masks, uh, for instance, even though some people did that thing when they wear the mask under the nose, which oh, the worst, the purpose, like, why are you even wearing it, dude? This uh, I, okay. The d- deep breath. Yeah. But, yeah. um, <laughs> I think we saw most people wearing masks. Uh, another big thing was the fact that we didn't have the in-cage interviews, right? Um, they would go uh, to a separate mm-hmm. area and go in with Daniel Cormier live, which I think was a little awkward uh, for yes. viewers. Um, and also, I was actually uh, discussing this with my boyfriend. Like, I was wondering why they didn't have, like, a third person, like a Megan Olivia or somebody just asking those questions since... Uh, it's going to be different. Like Daniel Cormier is not an interviewer. He does the interviewing job because of the dynamics of the broadcast. But yeah. I don't know. That was just something I was thinking out loud. I don't think he's just, he has amazing questions because that's not his job and not, not that's not what he was trained to do. But I digress. Uh, there was that that difference, which I thought was good. It just felt like a better uh, run ship overall because when we were looking at the broadcast before Jacksonville, like we know they had all the rules, but it seemed like they were constantly being broke. Even on the embeddeds, yeah. it's hard to know because we didn't have an embedded for this one, but like even on the embeddeds, you saw a bunch of people like hanging around at the lobby, like nobody wearing masks. Like you, the glimpses you caught from fight week was that things weren't really, uh, they were re- what really weren't running a tight ship on that note. Uh, and that, that I think that looked a little bit better at the apex. I like uh, they use the smaller cage, which um, yes. I think does change the dynamics of the fight. I personally like the smaller cage. And I also personally liked uh, it being a smaller venue instead of that big ass venue, big ass empty venue. It looks a little bit eerie. It sounds a little bit eerie. Like, uh, yeah. I don't know. And I think for fighters, it must be weird, right? Like, because when you walk into a smaller place that's you know, made for that, like the Apex, it, it probably feels a little bit like a training session, like a sporting session. And when you walk into a big-ass arena that's empty, it just probably feels like the apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> because, but, it is. <laughs> because it is. Yeah, yeah. But in a way, I like the arrangements for the Apex. Uh, I like that they seemed a little more careful about the, just the, the distancing rules and everything. You saw a person coming in between the fights and... uh like spraying the the mat and like mm. all of that I liked uh, and the event it was fine I mean I don't it didn't blow my mind we had a bunch of finishes which was cool uh, a couple of insane fights like Spy Carlisle and uh, uh, the Alpha Ginger for the win my favorite yes. well unfortunately did not win but that's okay let's that wound is too out. fresh let's <laughs> not go there it's too fresh uh uh we had Mackenzie Durr and I was very pleased with her performance like I'm not gonna name everything since we're gonna debate the event sure. but yeah just in terms of setup I really liked it and I thought it was a solid uh Saturday night entertainment in general like didn't blow my mind yeah. the co-main event sucked but at the same time we had some some standout performances 
Yeah, a- amen. I I echo everything you just said. Um, I think we're sort of viewing these fights through goggles mm-hmm. um, because we are in this situation where, where we had no fights for essentially two months, uh, just about two months, uh, because of the situation when everything's shut down. And so initially I think everyone was like salivating for, for fights. And now that we, we, we also got like three in one week, everyone is a little bit like partied out kind of. Yeah. And uh, it's brought back the old like just bleed mentality uh, for, for certain aspects, which the small cage helped with, you know, thankfully. Um, I want to circle back a little bit to the interviews because that was one thing like when when Joe Rogan mentioned on, on the broadcast for 249 that uh, the plan was to do them that way. And he protested it, saying, like, no, you know, we're, we've all been tested. Like, I got to be there with them. And in, in some aspects, I see where he's coming from. Like uh, DC talked about on on the show with Helwani, where he was like, you know, part of winning a big title fight is getting that moment with Joe Rogan. And Justin Gaethje got that moment. And Henry Sudo got that moment. And, and I was thinking, you know, that's true. But I also think if, if they were doing that for, for safety reasons, that we should sort of respect that. Um, and, and so I'm glad that they tried it. I'm glad that they went to that. But with, with the setup, personally, I wasn't a, a big fan because – I like the the new interviews now because of no crowd. You don't have those assholes wooing in the audience, mm-hmm. and the with the cheering, like it's it's almost like every post fight interview ever heretofore before the pandemic, the first question would not get answered. It'd be mm-hmm. like, "Hey, uh, congratulations on a great performance. Give us your thoughts on the fight." Woo! Thank you, Jacksonville. Or whatever they would just pander to the crowd and yep. wouldn't even talk about the first question. And so. Now we're actually getting things answered, and you can hear them, and it's amazing. And then with this one, they, I think they botched it personally because the music was playing in the background still, which is like, who is that music for? There's no one in the arena. Yeah. And w- which, which kind of made the sound quality a little weird. And then the headsets, it brought me back to the old like FS1 days and like in a bad way. Uh, because like they would go on those like the FS1 desk show and everything was muted. They'd already done like a few backstage interviews and they they like the adrenaline had calmed down from the fight and so they're just talking and that's what it felt like. They like with I, I come from an acting background and with voice acting they tell you that even though you can't be seen and it's just your voice that to kind of put something on from the character to to make you feel more like part of it like you know girl or high heels even though they obviously don't need them things like that like the aesthetics of that like affect their 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 speech really i mean like putting on the headset automatically makes it feel like that sort of an interview and they don't do the normal impassioned like interview like they they at one point like brought on uh jamal hill uh to talk about how holly berry was calling dana white and he was like that's cool i was like my man you should be freaking out (laughs) That is not the appropriate level of enthusiasm for the information that you just got. Exactly. And he even said, he's like, oh, I used to remember watch, watching her when I was a kid, looking up, you know, thinking she was really, really beautiful and things like that. I was like, so maybe freak out a little more. <laughs> I can see what you say. Because, like, even, uh, even like me, right? Like, if you put me in front of a camera with headphones, I'm going to be nervous because it feels like an official thing, right? So I thought that same way yesterday when I saw them putting the clunky headpieces and being put in that sort of backdrop and then looking at a screen to interact. I feel like you lose a little bit of the organic element of it. And maybe that's why it felt so awkward. But 
you are and having said that we are going to lose if if we're so intent on having mma we are going to lose things like i understand where people are coming from when they say oh but then you're you're losing that big moment with joe rogan like well aldo lost his title fight with zahudo like which i didn't think was earned in the first place but that was his fight he couldn't travel so he lost that uh we're having we lost the habib fight because of travel restrictions like we are gonna if we want to keep doing the sport the way it is people are gonna lose things we're we're having weird title fights that are based on circumstance because that's what we have to do right now so everybody's gonna lose things and that's something else that i was upset about when people rushed into this return like um the tony ferguson gaethje fight was just to me an unfair fight for tony to take um Agreed. so you are having this part you every like it's costing athletes more than just fights and money right like it's costing them title shots it's costing them and that's another thing that it's going to cost them unfortunately yeah no you you bring up a good point your sacrifices have to be made if we're so insistent upon putting on these events i i i totally didn't even think about that and who's going to be sacrificed obviously the fighters because Right, and just just the product itself, mm-hmm. and, and just just the product itself with mm-hmm. regards to that. Oh, yeah, exactly. Like, who's not going to be sacrificed? The people who are making money off of it. But anyhow, yeah, mm. <laughs> yeah. Can we talk about Dana White's like insistence? I'm like, no, I'm putting my foot down. If you want me to wear a mask, I won't even be there. Like, this is a grown man throwing a temper tantrum with the uh. NSAC. Uh, that was like straight out of the Trump playbook, right? Like, <laughs> are we surprised? I'm not, and that's the weirdest to me. Like, we, I, I'm used to like weird flexes to own the libs, but like, I'm just <laughs> like getting like we we we've seen it, we know how it goes, but like this to me is just the weirdest flex. Like, I'm not going to put this piece of cloth over my face. Like, dude, this. What are you? What is your stance here? Like, what are you saying? Like, how how fragile do you have to be in your masculinity to feel like this is some sort of big statement? I don't know, but at the same time, it's like we're seeing it everywhere, right? It wasn't surprising, but uh, it was actually my boyfriend who told me that that was the case, and I just laughed. Like, what else are you gonna do? I don't understand people throwing tantrums about not wearing masks. No, I agree 100%. And speaking of like what what I said earlier about like robbing things of moments, like having Dana White in the arena is 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 part of the experience as well. And like we saw Brian Kelleher get a nice moment where he he knocked out Hunter Azure and then went and like shook the boss's hand and they didn't have to worry about crowd noise, things like that. And like he could have been there like for these fighters' careers and mm-hmm. just like in his hotel room doing whatever. And putting his foot down for something we barely understand. I don't. This situation, like, I just feel like in a couple of years, some people are gonna feel very stupid. They're never gonna admit it. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> but, they're, but they're gonna look back on it and be like, "That's a stance that maybe I should have reevaluated at the time." But you know, uh, I, I agree with you. Like, you are. That's something. I mean, in Brazil, he has he has stopped coming to events a long time ago. So. Brazilian fighters or people who fight in Brazil often are just used to not having him there. Um, mm. But I mean, you're in Vegas, you're there. You know, just put on. I don't. I'm, I'm wearing a mask to run. Like it's horrendous, but you do it. You can wear a mask to just stand there. 
It's insane. Yes, thank you so much. Like I'm I'm in New Jersey, which is so close to New York, which is where like the worst cases are. And so we're the second worst because of that. And like earlier this month, uh, May that being May, they opened up state parks again so people could go out, get some fresh air and exercise. And I literally like the next day, my wife and I went to, to get some exercise. Half the people not wearing masks. And I was just like, put on your fucking mask. Like, just do it. I mean, it, it's I, I, I don't know. Um, I, I think this whole thing has kind of brought out the worst in people. And mm-hmm. so I try try to be understanding because we're all going through it, right? But mm-hmm. at the same time, that's sort of the uh, th- that's sort of the feeling that people could adopt as well. Yeah, like you said, I, it's brought out the worst in people. I think that's situations of flight or fight, like the ones that we're living right now, people are gonna go in either direction with a little bit more force than they wouldn't like less extreme situations. And we're seeing some pretty ugly behavior. I try not to preach too much. I feel like we all fuck up in one way or another, right? Like nobody has the apocalypse handbook and like is able to do everything right. We don't even know what right is, but just dude, it's a piece of cloth. It's it's the one thing that I'm like, just it's a piece of cloth. Cause here's the same, there's a park um, and I run, I'm able to sort of, it's not empty, but it's not crowded. So it's so you can do exercise, you can run, you can bike and avoid people anyway, but just put on a mask to do it. I don't care. Anyway. Yeah. That's my piece. I don't, I will never understand it. I just (sighs) weird as fucking flex, man. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and one, one thing you said in that R5 podcast I mentioned is that you try to practice radical empathy. And I, I agree with that so much. And I'm, not so good at it, but I, that's also because I think I, I take it another step. Like I, I overanalyze it to the fact that like, well, why can't those other people that I'm trying to be empathetic for, like, why can't they practice that same thing? And so then I, I get a little like, I don't know, childish about it where I'm like, well, fine. Like just kind of like the, <laughs> the weird flex thing. Um, it's a weird loop that I go through. Uh, when I talk about the radical empathy thing, it, it can be actually annoying at times because I find myself reasoning with people in situations that I shouldn't be. <laughs> like making excuses for people that don't deserve to have excuses made for them. But that's just how my brain goes. Sometimes I feel like I should be able to be more, a little bit more uh, assertive in my stances. I feel like even in my writing, it comes across. Like my columns are never... Like, I, I think that this, this, and this because of this. Like, it's never how it goes. It's always like this, but on the other hand, that. But at the same time, this. But then again, that. Like, this is my thinking. I end, I end it and I'm like, this, I'm annoying. Like, this is annoying for a person reading this. <laughs> Why can't I just come to a freaking conclusion for once? Well, that's kind of how I feel sometimes. Like, I, I always say, and then I tell people when they, when they try and bring up something like, the the name of the podcast fighting with myself isn't just a name that was just sort of clever about like a solo person doing a show about fighting like it's something that i i'm constantly at war with my own opinions like i think the world is more gray than we're willing to admit sometimes like a lot of people are like well this is black well this is white but i'm like well it's a little gray i mean (laughs) i I tend to live in that gray area and so i also i want to use that uh as as a jumping off point to transition a little bit to to something is there but before we we do that is there anything regarding ufc i was calling it ufc apex but i guess ufc vegas or whatever last night's fights that you want to talk about we didn't already um like specifically about fighters 
Yeah, just anything specific last night that um, that happened. I mean, I, I thought the the Spike Carlisle, Billy Q fight was they were robbed of a performance bonus. I thought mm-hmm. that was insane. And I I typically don't check the uh, like regardless of the judging. We won't talk about that because that's a bit subjective and and things happen, right? I mean, these judging yeah. of the past couple months or whatever the past few fights have been horrendous but just the fact that like the one thing that the, you can control the ufc can control is, is who gets a bonus yep. and they gave like they donated brain cells to for our enjoyment like i i, I don't know i i just thought like i, I was I, I usually don't look up the post fight bonuses because i know i'm going to be disappointed mm-hmm. and i just tend to think like oh they're going to make the right choice like whatever i thought objectively was it that's going to be it and then i just for some reason told me i was like i know they didn't get it and and i was right who got it i don't even know it was brandon roy val and okay. tim elliott that got okay. fight of the night and then they gave a performance bonus to uh gilbert and mckenzie which mckenzie made history you know yeah first women uh to get to get a leg lock submission in the ufc kudos history uh making performances always deserve a bonus like that's my stance anyway um yeah. and and gilbert had a sensational performance but i always thought the performance bonuses were were sort of for finishes um that's just my personal thought and i and i think like just to put on like tinfoil hat a little bit like the brandon roy val thing um he he mentioned i don't know if he was in the post fight immediately or some somewhere in a scrum where he said that he was like oh i know i'm not going to get the 50k so i have to go back to work next weekend i i, I kind of think the ufc maybe gave them the, the post side bonus to kind of avoid some bad press, maybe. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know. I actually, this is something that I um, am curious about, just the, because I always think that asking for bonuses doesn't work. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that played a factor. I am now surprised because to me, like Carlisle and um, uh, Quarantilla was like a, an obvious pick for fight of the night. And it's just sad because you think about exactly what you said. Like Carlisle went there, gave us brain cells, and he lost. So he's going for all of that. He's going home with half his pay. You know, yes. you know. So this is because that's another thing: the fifty-fifty pay structure. So it is very unfair. Um, and the USC could give out more bonuses if they wanted to. You know, we know that supposed to be four, but they can do more. They have done more. Sometimes yeah. they do it like under the table yeah. and don't announce it. So that might end up being the case here. Um, but yeah, this seems really unfair to me. Uh, the thing that I would highlight, which is the main event uh, for both uh, things. Like first, who knew that Dudin would be doing what he is? Like I would never in a million years have anticipated that within less than one year from his uh, official welterweight debut, because his first USC fight was actually a welterweight, mm-hmm. um, to be where he is and to beat Tyron Woodley the way that he did. I was absolutely in awe of his performance, for real. Like, it, it was really impressive. Uh, I feel for Leon Edwards. Like, oh, man. They, might, they might end up fighting each other, I guess, and maybe Jorge will fight Kamaru, and that that I'm okay with, sort of. I still feel like Leon should have had a title shot at this point, but mm-hmm. um, that's how I feel. That's why I feel sort of bad about this this main event. Like, even before going in, I was like, you know, if uh, Dudin wins this, it's going to be hard to deny him certain things, but at the same time, it's like there are other people who have been putting in the work in a very cluttered division for a really long time. So yes. how do you reconcile those facts? Uh, but I was thoroughly impressed by what he did. I was not expecting that type of performance at all. 
and I felt bad for Taryn because it felt like something is off, right? Like we saw that with with Kamaru when he was open about it. Like he was, just, we saw that he wasn't there that night, right? And I can only imagine the type of effect that plays psychologically going into your next one, like um, the fear of not performing of of having that happen to you again must be so bad because imagine that having a job that is so dependent on circumstances that are entirely out of your control, right? Because it, they are, you're depending on everything like from the whims of your ligaments to mm-hmm. the whims of promoters, everything has to work out in a very specific way for fighters to get the fights that they want slash deserve. And then, you know, you get to the point and and then you train and everything is right and everything is good and you're not injured and then you get there and it's just like, you're just not there for one reason or another. That must be fucking terrifying. Like, knowing that can happen yeah. to you. Like, oh my God, now I can, not even this, like even my brain can just like backfire on me like that. So I wonder um, how what part that played for him going into this one. Um, I haven't really seen a lot. I saw that he made like an Instagram post talking about the loss, but I wonder, you know, what type of effect that has on a person who was champion, who was at the top and then who just has two performances in which he seems just very uh, tentative and very um, struggling to, you know, really show up. Um, I, I'm, I was heartbroken for him, to be honest. I think that's the word like that fight ended. I was like, oh, man, Tyron's going to have to do some soul searching after this one. You're absolutely right, and I I thank you for bringing it up because we didn't even touch on it, and I feel remiss. Um, but yeah, I I thought honestly, uh, the best Tyron could could handle the best Gilbert pretty mm-hmm. pretty easily, but I I kind of like that didn't seem to be the case because I don't like he was a little gun shy. Tyron was, but definitely not as much as the Camaro fight. Mm-hmm. And I really think part of that was what Gilbert did early. I think he just brought the yeah. pressure. He cracked him and mm-hmm. uh, made him worry about the takedowns and things like that. It really was a virtuoso performance from from Gilbert Burns. I really, I really thought he showed up in a big, big way. And uh, what you said about his, his Tyron's Instagram post, uh, he said something similar on uh, the post fight scrum or, or the post show. Uh, because I just I keep watching the broadcast and they do the post show now like kind of as a seamless thing, and he said that like you know you can't just show up when you win you got to show face the music and things like that, and I I don't think the mental side of 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 fighting gets talked about enough, mm-hmm. especially because there is such a pressure on these men and women to not make excuses, yeah. like. You know, if they talk about injuries before the fight, it, their opponent could exploit it or they could potentially get pulled from the fight. I mean, Kane was supposed to fight Fabricio Verdum uh, at UFC 207, complained about his back, and the uh, the UFC pulled the fight or the commission pulled the fight. And so they don't mention injuries, but after the fact, they're also not supposed to talk about them because then they're making excuses. But some of those things are real things. Like Tyron could absolutely have been affected by that performance by Kamaru. And I, I think in a way it maybe motivated him because even when Gilbert was having more success, Tyron was throwing back, which is something he did not do uh, yeah. against Kamaru. Mm-hmm. And so I, I would really love to hear from him. I, I think I think sports psychology needs to be explored more in MMA. Yeah, I think it's getting better. Like, mm-hmm. um, 
I have a story coming out tomorrow that touches on that. Um, and I opened it talking about Darren Till because he memorably, a few months ago after that fight with um, Calvin Gaslam, he talked about, which he won, um, he talked about how he was terrified going yes. into the fight, right? And how he was terrified because, um, you know, he was coming off losses. He had the whole legal situation. He flew in like an hours before the weigh-in, like though, and you're going into Madison square garden. Like there's so much going on. And he talked about being terrified and thinking about ways of pulling out of the fight. And he said, um, every fighter is scared if they're, you know, I don't know if that's true, but I think a lot of them are. Uh, and just the, the fact that this reverberated so much, because I don't know if that's a word in English. Uh, if it's not, it is now. Um, it is. Reverberating. <laughs> I think the fact that it made such big waves had to do with how we're just not used to hearing this. Like, because of course, I mean, that's so normal. The normal thing is to be terrified, right? The normal thing is to be scared. Yeah. It would be weird to not be scared. Uh, but we have this idea, and I think that it goes back to what you said. Like you, you can't show weakness. Like you're as an athlete, you're in a sport that is very much based uh, not only on what you do, but also when you project. Like uh, intimidation is also a factor. You can't mm -hmm. go into a fight um, having your opponent think you're easy prey. Or sometimes that can be strategy too. But like it's a tough sport. Uh, they're expected to be very tough. They're expected to sound very tough. Um, and fear is such a, an ugly word, even for us, right? Outside, like it's yeah. not common for us to be like, no, I'm terrified fucking fight of this. Um, that I just think that with Darren saying that, we're hearing more about it. I personally am talking, like in interviews, see more fighters saying that they are working with a sports psychologist, that they are... Um, dealing with that side of things, that they meditate, that they, I feel like it's uh, still like in the world, mental health is still um, something that we need to discuss more and be more aware of, but like it is yes. in the rest of the world, I do feel like in fighting, it's getting better. I see that tendency to at least, you know, we're, I think we're approaching some subjects more honestly. I absolutely think, yeah, I was, as you were talking about the Darren Till piece or your piece that starts with Darren Till, I was thinking, yeah, it, it sort of is just a product of our uh, society or our, our world is sort of getting more open to talk about mental health and things like that. And it's sort of been, I guess, bottled up for too long. And that, that is a big part of it coming out. Yeah. And like we were saying, like with fighters, of course it matters. Like it's such a and it's a stressful job for everything. Can you imagine like your job every day is to go to a gym and like possibly have something broken and like possibly that's the day your knee snaps. And if your sneeze, if your knee snaps that day, there goes like one year without work. Like, you know, of yeah. course, this is me, a particularly neurotic person saying this. <laughs> Hopefully that's not how they feel going into work. But it's just a, such a stressful line of work, such a short career with so much riding on it that... Of course, it's going to mess with their heads, you know, and it's just it's a weird sort of uh, contradiction, right, that we expect these people who have this such a particularly stressful and difficult and emotionally challenging job to be the fucking toughest ones about it and to be the, you know, it's just weird, like it doesn't add up. Like, I just feel like we're uh, thankfully having more honest conversations, but I want to see a lot more like 
I, for one, am very much here for fighters being like, I was terrified. This suck. <laughs> I yeah. threw up three times before going into the cage. <laughs> I was shaking all over. I thought about giving up because that's, uh, you know, that's, I'm sure, something that happens a lot more than we even know. Absolutely. And I think, I think it, it humanizes them, like, so much to, to just say that. Because one of the one of the things that I talk about a lot is is like not that I'm a psychologist in any way, but I do try and sort of analyze the psychology of people and why they pick their favorite fighter. Mm-hmm. Uh, like my favorite fighter is Roxanne Modafferi, oh. and that's because when I I started watching her on Tough, uh, she talked about like being a big anime fan and watching Dragon Ball Z, and that kind of inspired her to start training. I I just like. I, f- I felt like I was watching myself. Like I felt like I was watching someone with real, per- like, problems they were dealing with in their life that I can relate to, and like her losing her first fight was like devastating. And th- and like from that reaction, I was like, I- that hasn't happened. That didn't happen to that point. Me watching anyone else lose, and like some people value just in cage performances. Some people value outside the stuff more. And and part of that is just having the conversation, like you said. Yeah, like even uh, Hannah Cyphers, who fought uh, Mackenzie during uh, oh. yesterday, right? She's uh, clearly awkward. <laughs> she's... She is a, quote, precious oddball that we need to protect <laughs> at all costs. Yeah, that's, uh, oh, as a wise woman once said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and a lot of people, you could see that she sort of became a cult favorite very fast because her interviews are excruciating to watch. Because she doesn't want to be there. She's socially awkward and she's shy. And a lot of people can relate to that, right? Because not for a lot of us, it doesn't look like what Jorge Masvidal does. Like, right. this is the guy oozing confidence who goes out there and, like, owns every room that he's in. Uh, and that's great to watch, but it's like, that's not me. I imagine myself being fucking terrified when that microphone approaches my face, you know? Uh, and then you have that along with the with the sort of clash of what she does for a living, which is, I guess, right. uh, punching people. Uh, and then people lo- loved her because of that, because she was weird, because she was uncomfortable, because, you know, it wasn't about what she was saying, because she wasn't saying anything. She's shy, like nothing was coming out of her mouth, but just because she looked so weird doing it, and that's relatable. So I do agree with you. I think showing vulnerability and opening up and just maybe not living up to the stereotype or, or the idea that we have that everybody has to be Conor McGregor, like doing the opposite of that can really pay off to fighters. Absolutely. Especially when there, when there becomes too much of one thing, mm-hmm. you know, you, one of the things I, I, I love about um, uh, Roxanne and, and just other fighters in general is that uh, she's unique and not afraid to show showcase certain aspects of her personality. And we need we need more of that because it it widens the audience. It's only it's only good for for, you know, everyone's brand. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. And Roxy, I think you, you mentioned a good example. Uh because of that, like, and and uh, even when she, when was it? What's the loss to? I think Montano. That yeah, she, the title fight. Yeah, the way she talked about it afterward was just so honest, um, and so real. Like I was very much in love with her then, and I agree with you that it comes like there's the contrast with the stuff that we're kind of tired of because uh, with McGregor, not everybody blames McGregor like he's 
single-handedly turned the MMA into trash talking. And I guess they forget we had Tito Ortiz before him, but like right. <laughs> we had other people doing that. But I do think that he really uh, showed a path that seemed very clear for fighters to get attention. And we had a lot of that for like a good couple of years in which the strategies were very much Twitter beefs. And I know because I was working at Junkie and I lost count of the numbers of stories that I wrote with fires back at, um, yeah, you know, Twitter beef, like just you know, blasts, it's just those big like combative words because that was sort of the environment and how we felt like you had to be. And I feel like uh, after a while we were just very much ready for something a little bit different. Even I think Masvidal and Diaz represented something a little bit different. Like even though they are not. Uh, the shy types, I feel like they came across as more honest and more themselves and less rehearsed because you saw that persona with Connor, that person who's very aware of of the image that he's putting out, right? It's very calculated. Um, and then you see guys like Masvidal and Diaz in their own very different ways, just seemingly being themselves. Uh, and I think that's why the BMF title also became such a thing and why we were so enthralled by the whole situation is because we saw people who seemed to be themselves and it helped that their selves were interesting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, but I think it was also a contrast like to, I guess we're ready to move past this very deliberate way of promoting yourself and promoting your fights and just maybe trying to um, appreciate people for what they are, like a more authentic maybe um, uh, type of, of, of marketing and promotion. Amen. And actually, that's another good segue for uh, for what I wanted to talk about next. And that is, uh, Fernanda, I need your help. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Not just in general, but more specifically, um, I, I pride myself in in being free, free and open to to discuss social issues and wanting to see things from both perspectives. But I, I also recognize when I'm out of my depth and when it's something that has absolutely nothing to do with me. And something that was a, just a, a hot topic of conversation recently was uh, a bit of a, speaking of Twitter beefs, a little bit of a back and forth on Twitter between uh, Valerie Loreda and Macy Chasson. Mm -hmm. uh, for anyone not familiar, uh, Valerie posted a video of her doing some shadow boxing and then was like shaking her booty at the end a little bit. And and Macy was just she retweeted saying like, LOL, I can't with this. You know, you're selling sex, et cetera, et cetera. This is not productive. And I, I, it, I took a step back and I, and I want to just sort of give my brief take on it and, and just sort of where I stand. And, and I, and I want to turn it over to you. And again, feel free to correct me. I, I told you uh, prior to recording, I said, feel free to check me because that's needed. Um, but I just, I, I, I see a little bit of both sides. Uh, I tend to decide more with Valerie uh, because I, I think that people should be promoted how they want to promote themselves in general. Uh, and I also, I, I'm a big fan of uh, body positivity and just sort of anti-censorship. Um, and and so I, I, I just think like she should be able to do what she wanted and not have this like pressure to represent all women or, or anything like that. But I also get Macy's point or at least see where she's coming from to say that, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm sort of working to avoid that and have that not be the first thing that men talk about. Because as I mentioned earlier with, with my favorite fighter being Roxanne, I mentioned that and like say something on Twitter and a bunch of dudes right away are like, oh, well, I, I don't see why she's not attractive as if like that's the only mm -hmm. possible thing that could that could me, make me be a fan of her. It's just so wild. And so uh, 
I'm sitting pretty on the fence. Like I said, I'm in that gray area. And um, I, I want to make it known that I know that as a as a straight white male, my opinion on this is largely unimportant and that it, it is really it's something that uh, should be talked about more. But I also do think that, you know, it's important for for guys to be part of the conversation because the whole thing is about whether or not they're they're marketing themselves towards men and things like that. And I don't know. So I'll, I'll take my foot out of my mouth. I'll stop. Yeah. <laughs> and I will turn it directly over to you. No, uh, I think your assess is absolutely correct. Like, um, there's, there, there is some, uh, you know, I am a obviously self-proclaimed feminist. I identify myself as a feminist and, uh, there are many people who also identify themselves as feminists who don't really, um, uh, are less interested in hearing the male perspective of things. I respect that because it's like our whole lives revolve around he hearing the male perspective of things books and movies and culture is the male perspective of things so it's kind of like can you just like not have your perspective in this one thing uh i understand that i personally and i think that has to do with the nature of my job and the nature of how i grew up and just the fact that i am very much surrounded by men I i'm a little different i want those perspectives however i feel like there's a time and a place and a way and you're doing it now that's the right way uh, I feel like a lot of men jumped on that conflict very quickly and show their yeah. asses very quickly because this is like another way that misogyny waits to manifest itself. You see a female, uh, 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 like a, an idea of female conflict and you jump into it. And you, that's why a lot of men, like you could see jumping on uh, Macy's bandwagon and defending her. Like, oh, that's amazing that you said that. These are people who are dying to to shame Valerie and saw a woman saying it as an opening to do that. I saw a lot of that. And, I, and that's yes. not cute. It's part of the um, problem. It's part of the problem. And it's and that's why, like, I took, I did, you saw it, I took days before saying anything. I didn't mention names. I didn't say anybody was right or wrong because this is such a complicated um, thing. Privately talking to a friend, I was very upset, like disappointed in the way Macy pointed it out because mm. uh, it did look like she was shaming Valerie. I did not like that. Um, but at the same time, I didn't feel like I should go there and then attack Macy because this is just feeding into a loop where it's women on women on women on women and just like fighting amongst ourselves and there's no benefit to us the people who benefit it's the people who benefit from weakening the female bond um how i say I, I stand on this and sorry if i'm gonna i'm ranting because i feel like this has so many freaking layers no the phone um, is yours and yes it does have layers so please keep going it's it's very complicated because here's the thing right i am very big proponent of do you boo um mm -hmm. valerie should be able to post whatever fuck video she wants it's her body it's her Instagram. She's a grown adult. She's an adult, a consenting adult. It's you do whatever you want to do. And those who don't want to see it, uh, mute, unfollow, turn mm -hmm. your back to it. As a famous Brazilian singer, Anita once said, you don't want to look at me, please turn your back. Like that's how I go about life. You yes. can go and that's how I go with myself, right? Like in, on my Instagram page, I post a lot of what people would call thirst traps. They're not traps. They're me wanting to post whatever the fuck I want to post. And it happens to be my body or my face or whatever I want to post. Um, having said all of that, um, there is there's one keyword, which is want, right? Um, it's like, 
oh, she wants to do this. And a conversation that happens a lot when it comes to uh, fem- uh, to women just really showing their sexuality um, like that is that, uh, do you really want to do it? Or is this also you catering to the male gaze and giving, you know, into what men want? Like, is this really your free will? Is this really, uh, is it even possible to have free will when you grew up in a society that told you all these things? That's a whole other conversation that you can have. But generally, uh, Valerie, there, nobody has any right to shame her for posting videos that don't hurt anyone. Don't like them. Mm-hmm. Don't don't watch them. Um, at the same time, you look at Macy, and what happens is we know that uh, still, and like you said, with the people who come into your mentions and talk about Roxy's appearance or whatever, we know that the world uh, and sports and MMA, like it's a whole sport built for for straight men. Like we know it. We're not blind. We look at the broadcast. There are girls who walk around in bikinis around the, the freaking cage for a reason. You're telling your audience a message. You There's a specific uh, audience that you're really making your project around, right? And, of course, uh, we've seen it with PVZ. We've seen it with Rachel Ostovich. Like, it's easy to promote a person who conventionally looks like that or Mackenzie Dern even. Like, uh, of course, they're going to use that. We've seen how, and I hate that it's the that it happens, but it's the reality. And we saw it with Ronda and we saw it with Misha. Like, uh, not that they weren't great athletes, which they were, but like we've seen how being a, uh, conventionally attractive helped their careers along. So it's very, uh, it must for a woman be very frustrating. It is for me and I'm not a fighter. It is very frustrating to look and be like, this person is being promoted and getting more opportunities than I am for bullshit reasons. So you can see how Macy would look at, uh, Valerie's videos and obviously that wasn't just Valerie right the way she spoke was like I wanted to get this off my chest and this yes. is the, <laughs> the time and like moment the I took. The back. <laughs> it wasn't really about Valerie it was about something else going on there but like if you don't want to do that if that's not your style and if that's not you know uh, it, it, it can it is offensive and it should be that this is what women need still to get ahead and to get opportunities. So I understand absolutely that part of it too. Like you said, it's very easy to feel like, it's very understandable to feel like Valerie doing that is tainting the image or is really catering to this idea or pandering to this idea or contributing really, which is how I think she feels to having women, um, to having this 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 situation in which women have to have a certain look to get certain opportunities, not, not have to have, but who are largely benefited uh, from yeah. having a certain look. So you, it's very easy to look at Valerie and blame her. Where I feel like she's off here, it's that it's not Valerie's fault. Like you're pointing your hand at her, like you're create, you're helping the system that makes you be frustrated because you're pointing at the woman and saying, "This is your fault." Like this, because you, because you were 21, 22 year old, because Valerie's a child and she has like two MMA fights. So she yeah. just came into the scene. So you're saying that this problem, that is a huge problem is because you, Valerie Lorita, is doing a, a video dancing at a gym. Like, no, it's not. It's a huge problem that should and ha- like has to be acknowledged. But Valerie is as much of a victim as everybody else, you know, like. And I've talked about this in my cast, my podcast before, and we, we witnessed this, the same thing with PVZ. Like she got a bunch of opportunities because of the way that she looked and that's not her fault. 
And then she capitalizes on those opportunities because, of course, what is she going to do? No, I don't want that good fight. No, I don't want Sports Illustrated. No, I don't want all this money. No, I don't want you to pay me to be on Instagram. No, 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 that is wrong. She's going to take all those opportunities and she will capitalize on them. And then people are hating on her because she does it. It's like we can't win. You have to look a certain way and then you look a certain way. And then if you take advantage of the opportunities that came your way because you look a certain way, it's your fault. So in a way, it all keeps boiling back to it's the women's fault. And then it's Valerie's fault for dancing. And then it's Macy's fault for posting. You know, like this is the loop. And this is why I took a while to even say things. It's kind of like I see it going on over and over again. And it's like, no, it's not their fault. Like it's bullshit that it's a valid Macy has a valid frustration and it's bullshit that things work like this. And at the same time, Valerie has every right to shake her booty. You know, people are gonna look at her body and they're gonna objectify her and they're gonna objectify me and every single woman and every single female athlete. And you know, if she's gonna make money and get opportunities out of it, all the power to her because somebody else is gonna make that money and somebody else is gonna profit off of it. She might as well get a freaking cut. So I've talked for hours. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but that really wraps up how I feel about the whole thing. Cause I feel like it's a complicated conversation, but yeah, in general, I just don't feel like siding with, you know, like I'm not siding with anyone here. Like I understand like you, both of their frustrations, but I don't feel like there's a lot that was productive about how Macy uh, chose to voice them. But then again, she grew up in the same society and the same systems that we all did. Um, this is not to me a case of cattiness, you know, as well. So uh, oh, you're that's right. my two cents. Yeah. And then I, more than, you know, I appreciate you, you just laying it all out there and, and giving the take that you did. And I, and I hope people know that one of the reasons I had you on is, is because of this and because I value your opinion heavily and I, and I wanted the conversation to be had. And I knew it's something that I can't really have solo you know it, it's something that it needs to be an open discussion and and i would encourage anyone uh, listening to sort of continue this discussion uh in a civil manner and uh, <laughs> and that uh you know anytime that you you want to uh i don't know add to it you're, you're more than welcome to come back on and um yeah i, I guess i guess that sort of r puts a nice little boa on that topic um, I did want to get uh, another uh, opinion from you if, if you have some time. Yeah. Um, da Dana White went on uh, the Dan Lebitard show mm -hmm. and they kind of went back and forth for a while. It reminded me of when Chael used to go on Lebitard and how Chael used to be like, oh, you're a charlatan and, and things like that. But uh, Dana mentioned that the Reebok deal is coming to a close and they're already talking to other people. And I have hated the Reebok deal mm -hmm. for, for a long time because I, I feel like it it limits their earning potential but also more importantly it limits a fighter individuality which mm -hmm. as as I've as we've talked about as I've said many times that's like my biggest thing is, sh is letting your personality shine through and uh like fighters have said I, I've heard some fighters actually say it's good mm -hmm. uh like I think uh Vitor Belfort came out and said um that he he admittedly he lost millions or he lost like a million dollars or something. I don't know if that's collectively or whatever that means, but that he said it was good for, for fighters in general. Um, Joe Lozon actually said the way that the structure works uh, for, for some of the veterans is good. But I, I, I pulled up a quick article um, where they mentioned this is this is from Forbes. I believe Trent, Trent Reinsmith um, made this. 
Uh, just I'm, I'm not going to read the whole article. I just wanted to give a quick breakdown of the tier structure, which yeah. is, I think, criminal. Um, is that if you have one to three UFC fights, you get $3,500. Uh, if you have four to 10 UFC fights, you make 5000 11 to 15, it's 10000 And 16 to 20, 15000 And then anyone who has, has more than 21, you get 20000 But then title challengers make 30000 and champions receive forty. That, to me, is crazy. And I don't know if I'm I'm just an outlier and I don't know anything about fighter pay, but looking at that, just hearing from what fighters made pre uh, pre Reebok, there's the earning potential is so much more. Uh, so I just want to see like what are you, what are your thoughts on on the Reebok deal come to a close and what would you like to see happen? Um, the Reebok thing, like um, I don't want to, I can't spoil it. You see on the Athletic this week is something that we're gonna touch on. Um, on the, from the point of view of fighters this week oh, um perfect. yeah uh because i feel like at first it seemed like a very raw deal for everyone uh, but then it's what i what i what i've gathered um after knowing about and, and talking to fighters about this for fighters who had big names and who had big sponsorships um it was bad because you know they're losing money um from the fighter but like you have a fighter coming in from brazil or mexico and sponsorships are a huge problem like if you ask any fighter they'll tell you like what is your biggest problem like sponsorships in brazil like it's very it's a very common complaint among mm -hmm. fighters so you come in and just for fighting you get those uh twenty five hundred dollars that in eyes is a lot more um same with fighters from Mexico, from other places. Like that's that little bit of money is actually a lot of money to some of these people. Right. Um, and they feel like it's good because, you know, you don't have to worry about chasing sponsors. You don't have to really worry about that much. It's just a little bit of extra fixed in, uh, a little bit of extra income that you're getting with your fights. Um, and then you're getting free gear. Um, so, you know, to some people, it's not a bad thing. It was a good thing. Uh, what I do feel is that, again, we'll run into the problem. Okay, for them, relatively, it's a little bit of money that is good. But then, you know, how much is the UFC taking versus how much of it are the fighters getting? And that's everything. That's the right? biggest it, issue. That's the biggest issue. And everything with the UFC kind of boils down to that because you have fighters who are fighting the local circuit and who have their first UFC pay. And it looks like a lot of money. And if they get a bonus, 50 grand for a person living in Brazil, that's a, especially now with the dollar the way it is, man, like it's a ton of money. Like it's life changing yeah. stuff. So it seemed like it seems like a lot because you're coming in from such a, a low pay situation that it does feel like it's fair and it's better than what other people are offering. And then at the same time, you look at it from the side of, okay, but what is the UFC making up this cut? And, you know, it's the same, like you said, for viewers, um, some would argue that it looks more professional, like less cluttered. You don't have Vitor Belfort coming out with what looked like a Formula One fucking suit with yeah. a sponsorship, like all the way up to his ass. Like, you know, like, <laughs> so that's visually maybe more appealing to some, to others. Like you said, I think it really um, mutes. Uh, personalities it really limits what you can do and we know that a walkout can really like even Israel Adesanya's dancing walkout made yeah. you know his name uh rise so much so um on that end like I kind of 
I personally, as a person who likes diversity, I miss, I don't really love the Reebok deal. Yeah. And, and financially, that's the thing. I don't think it's, I understand when up and coming fighters say that it was good for them. And, you know, that's good. They don't have to hustle on top of everything else to find sponsors. But um, do I think that it's probably a very lucrative deal that, feel, that UFC wouldn't do if it wasn't super lucrative for them and that fighters could get a bigger cut of it? Absolutely. Uh, coming up next, I don't know, but I would suspect that if it's not with Reebok anymore, like it's probably going to be more money coming into the UFC. So the very least I expect is for them to give fighters more money. Uh, not holding my breath, though. Right. <laughs> to me, it's another gray area, the Reebok deal. I was very, very against it at first just because I felt like it really... And it wasn't discussed, right? Like it was imposed. There was never like, because they don't have that power. There was never like, oh, do we want, do you fighters want this? To my right. knowledge, it was very like unilaterally, a very unilaterally made decision. So that's never good. But uh, now I'm I'm seeing it more of a, like, I can see the benefits of it. But still, like, I just, to me, it all comes down to you have enough money to give this, these people more. Right. And, and, and it becomes a situation like it raises a larger issue. Like you said, they don't have a seat at the table mm -hmm. and you're asking um, f fighters who are like contractually like on a, on a simple scale. They're like independent contractors. But the way you're structuring this with the amount of rights that they have, you're treating them as employees. And yep. so you're making independent contractors wear a uniform, which just doesn't. See, there's a lot of it that doesn't sit right, but I hadn't even thought of what, what you said uh, about, you know, even even a 2500, 3500 could be life changing money to someone in, in Brazil or Mexico. And uh, it, it made me think like they're the UFC is kind of putting themselves in a position so that they can seem like the good guy. Mm -hmm. when in reality, they're getting the whatever amount of money it was from Reebok directly. And then they're deciding how it's going to be dispensed. Yeah. That's exactly it. So it's like you can see you can see where fighters are coming from when they say, no, for me, it was good. Uh, but at the same time, it all goes back to they're not doing it out of the kindness of their hearts, are they? Exactly. <laughs> it all comes out in one way or another. You're being screwed, dude. <laughs> I don't necessarily know how to fix it, <laughs> but I do know that that's the case. So where do we go from here? I don't know. But uh it really goes down to how you, what you said, like just they're not getting a seat at the table. And, you know, we can talk about unions. We can talk about how do we fix this? Yeah. Like, how do we make sure that fighters have the right to negotiate? But uh, to me, at least like to me, this is a very easy situation to debate and a not so easy situation to actually come up with solutions for. Oh, yeah. Amen. I, I think it's, it's, it's a very delicate issue because... Uh, at first, when I heard about fighters wanting to unionize, when Leslie Smith came out with the Project Spearhead, mm -hmm. I was like, fuck yeah, fight the power, screw the man, like do that, you need collective bargaining. And then I started to think about some of the implications of, of what a union would do and, and whether or not the structure of, of our sport really lends itself to unionizing. Uh, and I still think that something needs to be done. They need to see the table, um, but, but that's, an, that's not an easy ask. It, it's hard to accomplish. Yeah, exactly. Like, and I, I think there are a lot of people who have more like stronger opinions and ideas. Like, um, John Nash, uh, 
he's a guy who talks a lot about fighter rights and, and that type yes. of stuff. And yeah, he's going to have like a more practical approach to these things. I know some people like have a better, I guess, um, understanding even of the basics. I don't even know how union structures work in the U.S. It's different for us. Uh, and then mm -hmm. uh, there's also that, right? You're unionizing, but you have fighters from all over the world. Like you said, the structure of the sport is just a very um, strange one to even think about it that way. I think it's important. Uh, I love Leslie Smith. I love the idea yes. of Project Spearhead. Uh, at the same time, I can understand why it didn't really work out. Um, they're still happening at a different phase, I think, but I think we can all see that it kind of fizzled out. Um, and I honestly, like, unfortunately, don't have any solutions to 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 give to fighters at this point. Um, I wish I did, but... Yeah. <laughs> Well, even that whole thing kind of shed some light on the fact that it, it has a, a snowball's chance in hell of, of working out because at the same time Leslie was doing it, she also, I think she started Project Spearhead because she was originally part of, what is it, MMAAA or or the the one with Randy Couture and John Fitch. There yes. was like three different ones at one point and you had the one with like GSP and TJ Dillashaw and Kane and Cowboy. Mm -hmm. And then you found out like some of them were just doing it because they were felt like unfairly treated. And then as soon as like Dana was like, well, let's sort the issue. They're like, okay, yeah, fuck this union actually. And, and they left. And it's just like, why, you know, you're proving their point. Like, I don't know. It's just, it's because the, the structure also like sort of puts like, pits them against each other, right? Like, yes. you start looking at each other as competition and, like, of you know, this thing that somebody else might be gaining might be taken off your plate. Like, it's a whole complicated dynamic, and we see it in the microcosmos of MMA, but it's the world, right? Like, we can expand this and see that that's what happens. Like, you're having the same people with the power and the money making the people beneath them fight each other, um, and f wanting to feel like they have even the smallest advantage. I don't, I don't necessarily think that's the case with fighters, but like you are in a sort of selfish sport. You kind of have this idea that you have to fend for yourself, like, because nobody else will. The managers, like we both know, everybody who works in the sport knows there are great managers, but there are also some, some not great managers. It's a sport yeah. filled with people just like very willing to take advantage of others. So it's, I cannot blame a fighter who has this very short career, who can get injured tomorrow and not get a chance to fight anymore, um, to sort of have a selfish view, right? They need yeah. to be able to because they, they don't, they're they not going to feel cared for by anybody else. Like, you're really out there. You have to take care of you because nobody else will sometimes. And then, you know, I, I can absolutely understand that. I can absolutely understand the thought of, oh, I just have one, another year of fighting tops. I just want to make the most money I can and get out. Like, why would I rock the boat? Why would I risk this and like unionize and, you know, mm -hmm. I can absolutely understand that. Um, although I wish we were all, you know, we we're all super empathetic people who work together toward common goals. Like that's not how the world works. Even like me in my everyday life, all of us, we act in selfish ways. So I don't fault the fighters ever. Um, but I do feel like it's a bit fragmented. I don't really see a concerted, like, uh, unified effort going forward at this point. But I do think that situations like what just happened with Joan Jones might be a good start. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the, that whole thing. And initially, so 
I have an interesting take on this. I went through like a journey with it, and, and I'm I'm someone that's never afraid to change my stance on th- something because mm-hmm. I think humans are 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 always evolving, and we also tend to make rash decisions. So uh, when initially it came out that um, John Johnson he wanted more money, and uh, that that's why the fight never materialized, I kind of had this view, and and I'm a I'll be honest, I'm a hater. <laughs> I'm not a John Jones fan, <laughs> yeah. and so like. When that whole thing came out, I did a whole bit on my show that someone called in and asked about, um, about you know, fighters honoring their contracts. Like, you know, you negotiate a contract and you should kind of get paid for, for what you negotiated prior to that. And then, and so, so I was very much like sort of against John Jones. But then it came out where, where Dana was, was sort of shaming him kind of in a way. And John was like, hold up. And then sort of aired the dirty laundry in a way. And I was like, this motherfucker's spitting. Like, I was just like, okay, let's go. And, and, I, and I really like, you know, I think more of that needs to happen. Like part of that um, uh, interview on Levitard that Dana White did, I, I referenced, uh, was a was primarily that John Jones thing. And Dan Levitard, to his credit, was like, why don't you make your pay public? You know, even the, the sport of boxing, which is so dirty, makes their pay public. And you don't. And Dana White was very airy just like staunch like oh i'm I'm, that's not how i run my business and then but he also said something which is interesting to me um which is that uh he said the fighters there's nothing in their contract that says they can't talk about their pay they're free to talk about it but they don't want to they don't want people to know how much they're making and i just sort of thought like it's it's a bit of it's a bit of a weird situation because if they do make it public it's not necessarily good. The, the UFC is not going to necessarily want to give them a raise because then they're just going to keep talking about it. And, and, and so they're better off not talking about it. So it's like, oh, you're free to go. But, you know, do you really want to leave kind of a thing? It's, it's such an interesting dynamic. Oh, and it's the same in life, right? Like uh, working in companies. I mean, I at least have the experience of like people, everybody being terrified of say, saying how much you got paid because. Yeah. You know, either you feel like you make too much and like you you might have come in making more money that somebody else was already there. You know, you don't want that person to like try to backstab you. Like, and that's on per that's by design. That's not an accident. And it's yeah. the same thing with them. Like it's beneficial that we are suspicious of each other, that we are not upfront about what we're making, that you're not and it's the same with fighters. Like, of course, you're free to do it, but then you know, you're opening yourself to a bunch of other stuff that you don't want to open yourself up to um with jones like it's funny like you said because the slack message i sent when i first saw it was <laughs> might fuck around and sympathize with john jones today like, <laughs> yes i'm not i'm not uh willing i'm not all that eager to agree with john jones i'll tell you that but just the whole yeah. the way that it happened i feel like uh as a person who doesn't make $5 million, it's very easy to look at it and be like, he wants more than $5 million for a fight? He already makes a lot of money. He already makes more than his colleagues. Like, you know why? Yeah. Like you said, you have a contract on it. It's, uh, it's kind of instinctive, I guess, to go to that stance. And I feel like if that had happened two years ago, everybody would have piled onto Joan Jones in such a way. Yeah. Now, I think, the world is waking up to a certain things and to certain things. And what I am looking at here is you're calling this the best athlete that you have now and that and possibly that you've ever had. You're making a lot of money out of him. 
and you're telling him that's all you're willing to give him, like that's a bad look for the company. No matter, sure. no matter if you agree or not that an athlete should be making that much money, and we can talk about this at some other time. Like you, you can go yeah. over this in many different ways, but just that is the simple fact that he is making a lot of money for a company that has a lot of money. Who that company that says they're the best athlete that they have, not that they needed to because we know it. And then you're telling them that no. And what he said that also I thought was really interesting was that you know. In every job, you want the idea that you're going to move up, right? That you're going to yeah. have those opportunities, that you have something to aspire to. And his idea was that he was going to get to heavyweight, and that's, that would be the, his next tier, right? That that would be his top tier, that he would have those opportunities to keep climbing. And the moment you put a cap on that and you say, no, like this is as far as you go, he's human. He's a yeah. human working for a company. He'll want other things. So I personally think that it's a reflection that we're starting to get really pissed off at rich people <laughs> 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 that we're getting like a little bit that we are so overwhelming on, on, on Joan's side on this. Even people who don't necessarily sympathize with him as a person, but uh, can really sympathize with the cause. Yeah, well said. And I think that's that's uh, a good uh, stopping point here. I've taken up so much of your time already. Fernanda, this has been such a treat, and I cannot thank you enough. Uh, before I let you go, I want to turn the floor over to you. If there's anything you want to say, plug whatever you got to plug. Take it away. Uh, I would say just um, I'm very excited about something that's happening at The Athletic this week. Um, first, things going to come out on Monday, and we're going to go through the week maybe more. But like... Um, it's really cool. I can't tell you what it is, <laughs> but it's oh, really sure. cool. I never get excited about things, but I'm excited about this. So uh, I feel like people should go check out The Athletic. If you don't want to commit the money to pay for The Athletic right now, try a free trial. See if you like us. Uh, I'm biased, but I think we're pretty cool. Except Ben Folks. He's a dick. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. I love him. Um, Who wants to limit your amount of Instagram stories? I mean, what yes. a tyrant. Yes, he's a tyrant. He's uh, it's it's very unfortunate that I'm stuck working with him, but he's also a genius, so that yeah. happens. Uh, but yeah, it's it's pretty cool. So that's the only thing I, I have to plug. I think uh, people are really gonna enjoy it. It was a labor of love for all of us. And what else? That is it. Follow me on Twitter if you wanna uh, read about my bullshit. Please don't reply with trash stuff i will mute and block you i don't care i have run out of patience and that is pretty much it thank you so much for having me this uh you said you, you took you said you're taking up a lot of my time but i'm actually talking your year off and i really appreciate it so thank you so much no absolutely you're welcome and then again <laughs> thank you uh i really I've, I've told you this privately and i've, I've said uh, on my show as well uh well actually was what was one of my favorite shows that, that existed in our space and uh i, I deeply miss it and, um, you know, thank you for having this conversation with me today. Thank you. Thanks again to Fernanda for joining me for that. That was awesome. I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I did. Um, and I, I, I just think conversations like that are important uh, where you can have two people from different backgrounds uh, coming together to, to discuss topical issues. Um, that's always been a goal of this podcast, and I want to do it more. Uh, I've said that I, I don't. I prefer to do this solo. I don't like to do guests that often, um, as evidenced by my catalog. That's mostly just me. Um, but that's not an indication of ego or anything. That's more just so, um, you know, I'm just more comfortable doing it alone. I can be 
funnier to be honest i guess um more uh uninhibited uh although i think we had a, we had a pretty open and honest discussion so that was really awesome uh thanks again uh to fernanda and uh you guys go give her um go give her a follow um she's on twitter at nanda Praches is n a n d a p r a t e s with an underscore at the end uh so uh follow her there for you can see all her work which i again is the best i urge anyone to to go and check it out big fan big big fan and so without further ado um we're going to keep things rolling let's take a quick break which i know is not really keeping things rolling but in a sense it is uh let's take a quick break so we can hear an ad and then uh we'll get back into the forum I'm back and I'm ready to get this forum started. Um, thank you for everyone that has sent messages in. It always means a lot and uh, really excited to play these. So without further ado, let's get it going. So why does it smell like that though? Because it's uh, a tobacco Hold on a second. Juicy baby. Gang is here. Fell down the YouTube rabbit hole. Look, and I hear you're always talking about that Chris Delilah guy, so I fucking come check him out. I don't find him funny at all. I've watched the Bobby Levers Chris Delilah. I've watched the Logan Paul versus Chris Delilah. And I've watched the Hot Ones with Chris Delilah. And I ain't laughed once. Please, tell me where to go so I can find this guy as funny as you claim he is. The disrespect calling him Chris Delilah. Honestly, I don't know why uh, you don't find him as funny as I do, but I, I recognize that uh, tastes and comedy are different and that everyone has their own opinions on things. Uh, you may not know this gang. Chris is actually from Jersey. He's from Montclair. Uh, he grew up in New Jersey and then, and then he moved to L.A. Uh, with his family. So if you if you've checked out all his stand up, you checked out all his things, you don't find him funny, I would say maybe try his podcast. Congratulations. I find it hilarious. Um, the ones I always recommend people to check out are um, first episode 94. Um, he references a, a, one of Conor McGregor's Instagram posts in there, and I think it's so funny. It's that one you may remember when he was like, you are a man. You are a man. <laughs> it's just so funny. Um, and then episode 111, 111, I think it's I think it's called White Aladdin. He fucking does like a 30-minute bit on R. Kelly's Trapped in the Closet. And I, I'm i in stitches like crying, laughing every time I listen to it. But uh, uh, if you don't like it, that's cool. Oh, you know, another thing that I really love of his that you, you may, have, um, may have missed, uh, he... He did a special early in his career, and this is what made me be a fan. Like, I've been a fan of his for a long time. He's blown up recently. Like, I'm always that guy um, who will reference some people's, like, stand-up and stuff before they got famous. Like, when, when Jack Galifianakis blew up because of The Hangover, and everyone was, like, uh, like so enamored with that and quoting him, I was like, hello, have you seen Live at the Purple Onion? I've been on board already, motherfuckers. Like, uh, but I digress. Chris D'Elia was on a, a Showtime show called Live Nude Comedy where they would have like comedians and then in between the little segues, they would have like burlesque dancing and things like that, like really kind of cool stuff. And he did a set there and I tried to find the full thing on YouTube and I can only find a part of it because he talked about like um, 
Germans are the most gangster thing because it was so fucking terrifying. But it's so funny. Uh, here's like um, um, to hear his impression of uh, of Germans because I don't I don't want to ruin it. But there's this moment where he was like, if a German came up to you on your birthday, we're like, hello, I have made you a birthday cake. He's like, would you eat it? Nine, you would not eat it. Like, it's just so funny. So so check that out. And uh, otherwise, um, you you can blame me if you don't like it. I'll fucking um, I'll take the blame for that. But uh, great question. I'm just gonna say again. I said you you posted something uh, recently on Twitter, very near and dear to my heart, about what you're going through. And uh, you know as well as is anyone else listening. You know we're survivors, motherfucker. We're getting through this. You're getting through this, and that's it, dude. You're you're coming out of this, and uh, we're all here for you. So so shout out to Genghis. talking about that if you were going to bring a UFC fighter to a bar fight which one would you bring I figure if we're going to live in fantasy land might as well go on it right so uh you're going to go to a bar fight which Marvel character you going to bring I'm talking all Marvel not just cinematic shit which superhero you or villain you're going to bring up with you in a bar fight Got Hulk, you got Wolverine, you got Magneto. Who you got? I'm bringing Blue Marvel. Motherfuckers don't know about him, but shit. I recognize. Blue Marvel is a great, great choice. This is a fucking great question. By the way, uh, Genghis N3, and I, I'm temporarily um, lifting the rule on voice questions are on the on the on the max um, during this whole crazy shit going on because I want people to enjoy themselves. And uh, fucking, I love this question. So for me, I thought of two. So and they are a little bit, um, a little bit more mainstream than probably you wanted. But uh, my favorite superhero of all time, Spider Man. Like hands down, uh, that's my guy uh, for for many different reasons. Most of which were laid out in uh, episode sixteen of this podcast. Shameless plug. And um, I just think like it would be cool for him to like like one thing I love about uh, like Spider Man his fucking one liners and his like trash talking stuff during the little like the fights is just fucking legendary. I would love like, especially in a bar fight. Are you kidding me? Like that would be amazing. Just tying them all up. Like he would just tie them up with the with the webs and then I would beat the shit out of him. Um, uh, but I also think it would be fun. I just thought of this. It would be fun to have Ant Man uh, because <laughs> you could bring him like on your shoulder when he's little and. Uh, like the motherfuckers in the bar fire be like, oh, you got backup? And I'm like, oh, oh yeah, I do. You see him? And they're like, what this little motherfucker? And then he he does this thing where he goes to like giant size, maybe takes up the whole space of the bar and just like crushes everybody or fucking lifts the roof off of the shit. I'm so like that's the one. <laughs> that would be so fucking uh ridiculous. And I'm here for it. Uh great question. Love you, bro. Get up, man. Get on up. Like a sex machine. Sub Judge, baby. She boy gangers. A lot of serious shit popping off in the world right now. I figure this is the time and place to talk about it. Tom motherfucking Jerry or Wiley motherfucking Coyote and a roadrunner. Who would have batted duo? 
Holla back, brother. We need to know this shit. <laughs> this is another one where he has the you know quote unquote correct answer in his mind, and is definitely going to roast me if I if I get it wrong. Uh, I gotta say, uh, in a lot of ways, it, it should be Tom and Jerry, because um, just watching a mouse get over on a cat is just something that is fucking I don't know epic. And uh, Jerry always made Tom look so dumb. But I grew up on on Wiley Coyote and the Roadrunner. Like that's my that's my jam. And when he would <laughs> get these like fucking elaborate uh, schemes and devices from Acme to like crush the Roadrunner, and they just fall victim to them every single time. It's so funny, dude. I just I can't. And when um. Uh, when he painted the fucking tunnel, uh, to look like it was, or painted painted a wall to look like it was a train tunnel, and then and then he ran right into it. Still, uh, I, I just can't get enough. So I think it's Wiley. I have a feeling I got that wrong. You can definitely let me know. Uh, fucking love that guy. Juice, my man. Let's just let's just say Gilbert fucking burns. I knew it. Everybody else was saying it was too much. Woodley would have been too much on the ground. Blah blah. No. Burns was a better grappler. He was the more precise striker tonight. He won the fight everywhere. He beat him everywhere. Every round. Insanity. Great night of fights. A little mad about Bugoy losing, but who cares? Now let's look at Herbert Burns next week, his brother. These Burns brothers are dangerous, and they're here to stay. Yes, but I forgot to talk about the Blagoy fight. Oh, man. So this is the thing, dude. And thank you for, for sending that uh, message in. Y'all, uh, go go give him a follow. Type on my photo. It's at Old Street Kicks. And, uh, man, the Blagoy fight. So I meant to talk about this with Fernanda because I, I wanted to get her take. And when it comes down to like the scoring of the fight and the outcome, I'm not too mad at it. You know, you you can easily make a case for Sakai winning, uh, even though the, the stats were pretty close. Um, Blagoy edged him in the first and things like that. But you know that fucking fence grab, dude, indefensible. Like that was so blatant. And just the fact that he got like a little warning, you guys know that pisses me off because your your warning is in the back and you know you're supposed to follow the rules. And it's just a, yet another example that cheating is rewarded in MMA. <laughs> I mean, it really is. And, and I, I just, I hate it. I need more point deductions. That would have made it a draw. Oh, I'm mean, so mad. Like so mad at that. Um, but, uh, you know, respect to both guys. Well, respect to the, the guys that in there that weren't cheating. Yeah, I'm a little salty. No, but they, they both fought a great fight. Oh, so mad. <laughs> All right, next question. What's going on, you bunch of fucking casuals? What's going on, Juice and all you Juice heads? Hope y'all are doing well over there in the U.S. We're definitely praying for y'all. Praying for peace over there. Um, I know Burns did quite well last night. He was super impressive. Um, I wanted Woodley, but what are you going to do? 
everybody's clamoring for Burns to get the next title shot. I'm not in agreement with that. I think uh, Edwards is one who deserves it. But uh, that's my question for you this week, man. Uh, who do you think is next for Burns? I want Edwards, but that's my personal opinion. But it is what it is. And you know it's always 420. Stay safe, you guys. Peace. Yes, you guys go follow Jim Asun. He's the man. Uh, thank you so much for, for your wishes for peace for, for the U.S. I'm very much uh, shaken by this whole situation. The riots are, are, are getting out of control. The, the slander, uh, like people on the timeline, they're just saying the most ignorant, racist things. I can't fucking handle it right now. And I, I struggled with this so much because I, I wanted to, to, to say something about George Floyd when I opened the show. And... Um, I've, I've said some things on my personal Instagram, which like a couple of you follow and it's, it, and I, and I, and I really, I chose that platform more so because those are the people that are in my network, my community that I, you know, either grew up with or went to school with. And it's just so saddening. Like what, what this has turned into and like the, it's bring out the worst in people. And I wanted to do, I, I said that I was, you know, done with the, um, with doing the, the, the different intros other than the, the regular fighting with myself intro but I really wanted to do, I listened to so many songs this morning that I was thinking, how can I work that in? Like I was like, you know, a ch- change going to come Sam cook, you know, redemption songs, Bob Marley, Tracy Chapman talking about a revolution. Wyclef John, if I was president, I wanted to do, I wanted to do all of them to be honest. And, and, and honestly, like not even change the words, like just fucking, and, and, and even I wasn't even going to sing. I was, I was just going to play them just fucking straight. And I think about being demonetized and things like that. So there's a, there's a struggle there, but man, Shit is fucking wild, and I and I and I gotta give a shout out to to my boy Mixed Demand, who's right in the heart of it in Minnesota, um, you know, out there making a difference in his community, out there protesting. And I uh, hope you stay safe, buddy. I know he sent a question later. I'm gonna uh, address it again there, but um, thank you, Jim, for for bringing it up because I I'd be, it'd be remiss if I didn't mention it uh, with what's going on. Uh, now, your question, yeah, I absolutely agree. I wanted Woodley, and I thought, you know. The best Tyron Woodley, I mentioned with Fernando, the best Tyron Woodley, you know, can can really be a problem for for Gilbert Burns. But the best Tyron Woodley didn't show up, and that's not to discredit Gilbert. I, I'm not I'm not saying it was the worst Tyron Woodley by 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 any stretch of the imagination, because I certainly don't want to discredit Gilbert. That was a fucking great performance, and I think that part of the reason why Woodley didn't show up, or part of the reason why he didn't look as good, was the fact that you know he hurt Tyron early, early, sorry and made him sort of worried about certain things and just the game plan was perfect. And, and uh, really, you know, credit, credit to Henry Hooft uh, for, for putting that together. You know, obviously they, um, they prepared for Woodley that camp because Camaro trains there, which brings me to your question. Like a lot, a lot of people are clamoring for the title shot and you know what? Recency bias in MMA is like rampant. It, it's so often like, you know, people are always like pumping someone off after a big win and sort of forgetting about the rest of the division. And it just sucks because Walter weight is like one of the most stacked divisions in our sport. It's like Walter weight and lightweight and particularly at the top with the title picture, you know, there's, there's, and they give in mind like two or three guys who have a case for a title shot. And, you know, with, with, with Gilbert beating the former champion, you know, usually that tends to vault people to a higher position. But let's not forget, he just came into the division, you know, officially again a year ago. You know, he was a lightweight, 
Um, as Fernando mentioned, his debut in the UFC was at welterweight, but he was he's a career lightweight basically, which is kind of insane how he even made 155, given that the fact that you know Tyron cuts a lot of weight and they look the same size. Like I was like, wow, you know what I mean? But um, Gilbert uh, has done great things, but like I don't know, beating Alexei Konchenko, Gunnar Nelson, and Damian Maya. And Woodley, I don't know if that's enough. Like Maya and Woodley, great, great wins. And he has shown that he's like, like people don't often talk about the Damian Maya knockout enough because um, it, it's it's not sacred. Damian Damian is a little older, but he doesn't get knocked out. He doesn't. He really doesn't. He, he puts himself in a situation where he can avoid damage as much as possible, or at least big shots. Uh, you know, he, he engages the ground right away. So his defense I think is, is so underrated that uh, Gilbert's not getting the respect that um, that he deserves for that, for that knockout. That said, um, I think Masvidal is the next guy for the title shot. I just think he was already promised it. Um, although I do think, I do agree with you on the Leon Edwards one. Like if we're not going to get Masvidal, like if Masvidal is doing something else, as Dana has alluded to, uh, I think Leon Edwards is the guy, even though secretly I do want to see Leon Edwards versus, um, Jorge Masvidal because of that backstage incident with the three piece in the soda. So, and honestly, like, what's next for Gilbert Burns if it's not the title shot? Because I could absolutely see that happening, even though it's his teammate and that's very fucking weird. I think he should fight Colby. Like, Colby thinks he deserves a rematch, even though he hasn't got a win uh, back and he got his fucking jaw broken. <laughs> Colby. Um, but um, I think Gilbert versus Colby is a fun ass fight, dude. So. Uh, that's my thoughts. Thank you, Jim. You're the man. <laughs> oh, hey there, Juice. Fighting with myself. It is Smokey J here from Australia. Uh, we got UFC 250 up next. Got fucking Sean O'Malley back. Fighting um Eddie Wineland. Uh the Sean the other day said that he's fucking two or three fights away from a title shot, possibly. So I'd like to know in your humblest opinion where uh fuck it, where both a win and a loss would put Sean O'Malley in regards to that title contention um to Eddie Wineland. That's all. Thank you. Bye. Fucking great question. You guys go follow Smokey J. He's the man. Uh, Smokey J MMA. Bro, I, this is so like weird. And I want to thank Sean O'Malley for tweeting that out because it inspired a uh, – uh, or not for tweeting. He, I think he said it in an interview, um, which MMA Fighting uh, posted. And uh, that inspired a tweet of mine, which was to say that, you know, maybe cannabis isn't so great. But uh, obviously I was joking on that because mm, I love it. But, uh, you know – He's not getting the he's not getting ranked opponents. Like if he, if you were to take out like someone was like uh, commenting on my tweet, being like, "Well, he's right." You know, if he takes out number number ten and then number five, he's right there. I'm like, okay, but he's not. I mean, Eddie Wineland is is not, um, to my knowledge, not ranked. Um, and if he is, he's maybe like fifteen. Uh, I don't. I, I just don't see Sean vaulting in the rankings that much. Like. At the end of the day, I'm not a fan of the rankings, but they have to mean something if we're going to have them. Like, 
that's how I am with rules. Like, do I think, um, you know, 12 to six doubles should be allowed? Yes. But, um, is it a foul if you do them and it should be fouls being enforced? Yes. Like the rankings are shit, but they also are only as good as we make them. And I, I, I just don't think like realistically he's, he's two or three wins away from, from Natasha, especially when you, when you consider the fact that he's matched up with Eddie already. Like if it was like, if he just said that, it'd be like, okay, let's see. But I don't see him getting like Eddie Wineland and then another one in a title shot. Like fuck out of here, dude. Like right now you have, uh, so who, so just retired and you have, I think Aldo and Jan are fighting for the vacant belt, but then you have Aljo and, and Corey Sanhagen who could easily be fighting for that same, that, that belt. Like on their own as well. Like if Sudo was still around, they could both be contenders, and, and I got no problem with that. Like that that fucking division is stacked, and people don't uh, don't talk about that enough. Like Sean O'Malley is is getting that push, he's getting that McGregor push, but at the same time, it, the rankings aren't there for 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 it to really like be justified. I don't know. I, I'm a, and I'm a Sean O'Malley fan, by the way. Like I like the kid, and I and I love seeing him succeed. It's good for the sport, you know. They, like his kind of charisma is is very much needed, I think. But uh, that ain't it, kid. Basically, is what I'm saying with regards to that comment. What's up, Juice? It's Boy. I say, dude, a lot. We had fights last night, which is perfect because that's what we need. So I'm taking minds off all this bullshit. Coming out of quarantine, we got riots. So, you know, fights. That's our bright spot, you know. So it's going to keep us looking forward, keeping us, you know. We got to pay attention to what's going on. But, you know, you, escapism is real. And fights offer that. That's great. Um, questions. What's next for Burns? What's next for Woodley? Obviously, I mean, I don't have any deeper questions. There's so much shit going on right now. I just wanted to say, what's up on my Twitter? What's up, Juice? Hope you're all well. Everybody's, you know, staying safe and during the crazy times. Uh, yeah, love y'all. Love on my Twitter. Love you, Juice. Stay safe, man. Nate Counter three. <laughs> <laughs> what a great ending, Nate Counter three. <laughs> I agree. You know what? I think Connor at this point, um, he should be given like fun fights like that, whether they're just big fights that don't necessarily have, you know, divisional implications. Because if you put him in any, anything that has even a remotely like a hint of divisional implications, he's going to jump the line like automatically. And that's going to get people sad and it's going to hurt people's careers, you know, needlessly uh, because, you know, he brings a lot of money and the fucking almighty dollar rules. Um, but to answer your question, um, <laughs> and thank you for this question, and thank you for your message in general. Um, I think Woodley needs to sort of reassess his career um, because he's hung his hat this whole time of like being the greatest welterweight of all time. And if that's all you're fighting for, like I don't know that he should be fighting. And I'm not saying like. I'm not calling for him to retire because it's like, oh, he's getting like outclassed and it's looking really bad, like his health, CTE. Like I'm not, I'm not sitting here saying those kind of things. It's, it's just a situation where uh, he's not competing with the with the very elite of the division right now, like as it is right now. He he used to be, he was, you know, Wonder Boy fights, Damian fight, Maya fights. Like 
those will be like a testament to his legacy. But to, to, to get like 50-44 by Kamar Usman and then fight his teammate, uh, you know, a year later and and get basically the same result, you know, on the scorecards, just just not not sitting well. So um the only other the only other fight I, I would love to see for him would be like you know fun fights like him versus Nick Diaz or something, which is something he's talked about a lot, like a lot. Um, even though I don't know if Nick should be fighting, like it, it's a whole thing, you know what I mean? So <laughs> crazy, crazy. And uh, I mentioned uh, what I think should be next for Burns. So uh, there's that. Love you, bro. Hey, Juice, it's your homie mixed a man here. Um, wanted to call and ask. We've got four events kind of in the rearview mirror now. Wanted to see kind of how we, in your opinion, assess wins and losses here just with everything going on, fight camps being a little abnormal. Uh, I don't know if training partners are in short supply, just kind of the weirdness of no audience being there. You know, do we do we fully accredit wins and losses right now? Do we kind of view them with a grain of salt as fighters kind of figure out the new normal? Um, but personally, I'm kind of in the middle on it. I, I do see that things are a little bit weird. I do see that some fighters are acting a little bit differently or uh, fighting just a little bit off. Um, but conversely, some people are just going out there and, and they're killing it. So, um, yeah, how, how does this impact legacies or win streaks or loss streaks? Um, do we give them any asterisks or do we just kind of accept it as it is? I'm just curious your opinion on it. Have a good one, buddy. Great, great question. And uh, yeah, I mentioned earlier, uh, Mixta is out there in Minneapolis and in Minnesota, fucking holding it down, um, just doing his part. And I and I really think that's important. And uh, shout out to you, my man, because that is awesome. Regard, regards to your question, I think I sort of mentioned this at the start, like when we first got our first card back in 249. Like, I do think they kind of should be viewed with somewhat of an asterisk. Like, if the world is sort of on hold, there may be like rankings and other things should be on hold as well. Just, just, I mean, in a way it's, it's hard because like you said, the, some fighters have um, underperformed, but I think largely like I haven't noticed much of a detriment, but the other thing is like fighting at so many variables. We don't know that if it's because of the lack of camp or if it's just because of something else that has absolutely nothing to do with the current situation. And that's why I think they should be doing more, uh, like catchweight bouts and just fighters fighting up a weight class. Like they, they already do like have done more than they used to. Like they didn't really used to let Bantamweights fight up a featherweight and not have it be like for rankings or whatever. But you know, Marlon Vera and uh, Song Yudong did it. Uh, what was the other one? Uh, Brian Keller, Hunter Azure. Like more people are doing this. And even like the Spike Carlisle, Billy Quarantillo fight, uh, they did that at a catchweight of 150. And normally, like the UFC hates catchweights. Like someone mentioned that uh, it, they 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 thought the catchweight was because one of them was going to miss weight. No, they agreed to a catchweight uh, prior, at least is, is in, to my knowledge, because I, I saw uh, Spike Carlara had posted something on Instagram about like he was like hashtag Corona catchweight or something like that. Um, so they need to do more of that because it just levels the playing field. And like fighters have talked about, you know, in the past. When you have a uh, like an eight week camp, for example, like sometimes depending on what weight you fight at and what way you walk around at, the last like three weeks is just like just for the weight cut. Like you're you're not really getting better. You're not working on game plan. You're just working on on getting the weight down. And when when that's all they have, like a lot of these fighters like are like 
blessed to have a three week camp in this, in this time. Cause they're just trying to make fights so quickly that, um, we should be doing more weight cuts. Cause they're just like, the performances are better. Like, come on. I don't know. I, I have, uh, like you said, a lot of mixed feelings about it because it's, it's on, on the one hand, doesn't seem to affect some people. And on the other hand, it does. So, Oh, I don't know. It's, it's weird. Everything is weird right now. This is a fucking crazy times we live in, you know? Uh, but, uh, again, shout out, shout out to Mixa. Thank you so much for the question. And that sort of concludes our voice questions. Oh no, I do. I do have one more. And, uh, that is from the homie MMA catfish. Let me just cue it up. Hey, Juice. It's MMA Catfish. Just sitting out in the front yard, watching the kids play with the dog, drinking a beer. I don't know, man. I'm kind of burned out on Twitter and all the bullshit. Like, hot takes and shit takes like we all have including myself or one thing but so many motherfuckers lately just be being straight up assholes about that shit and i just can't take it been muting and blocking not i don't block anybody but i've been muting a lot of people lately so i don't know i guess don't really have a question obviously but i was kind of going to say how much i appreciate you and uh the select people that aren't complete fucking COVID idiots. Thanks, brah. Enjoy the fights. <laughs> COVID idiots. That's so funny. Yeah, man. I, I echo those sentiments. You know, my my time spent away from social media has been been great, and I, I still go on to to check in on everybody and and engage with with everybody. But uh, it's it's so important to take breaks. And um, I'm learning that more. And like like you said, muting so important. But um, great great question, Seth, or great great submission rather. Not really much of a question there. But uh, love you, love you, love the love, love you. <laughs> said I way too much because I stuttered because that's what I do sometimes. I'm a stutterer, even though I rarely do it on the show because I got my shit together sometimes. I was so nervous I was going to stutter during the Fernando interview. I swear to God. Um, but uh, if, if you have never uh, l- listened to the show before and you want to submit a voice question, you can download the Anchor app, search Fighting With Myself, and hit message. It's so easy. Uh, you can also record it on your own and email it to fightingwithmyselfpod at gmail.com. Literally so many ways. So many ways. And um, now let's move on to the Twitter forum. First up, I got a question from my, my homie, Phil the MMA Dude co-host of the Split Decision Podcast, Phil's the man. He says, uh, hey, Juice, I think Gilbert Burns presents the biggest problems to Kamaru in the welterweight division. Am I crazy? He's got the wrestling, he's got the hands, and unlike Colby, he's got the power. Burns versus Usman is the fight. Am I crazy? No, no, you're not crazy, because here's the thing. Well, first of all, I have to say, because he's he promote, he poses the biggest problem, doesn't necessarily mean that that's the fight to make and that he's next because of the reason. That said, um, I think it is. I, I think he probably is the the biggest threat to Kamaru, especially given the fact that they train together. Now, that's a whole weird situation that's like not even uh, 
something I want to touch on at the moment because we don't even know if that that's something that they'd be interested in or not or what it would do. You know, they they both um, highly benefit from having Henry hoofed in their corner, and he can like fucking run back and forth between rounds. I mean, that shit is obviously not cool. So it, it, it's this whole weird dynamic, but um, stylistically, what you said I think is true, uh, at least on the surface. I mean, it's hard to really tell with 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 MMA because things can happen and completely change it up. But when you when you consider those things you said, I think it's absolutely true. Um, I don't think Burns versus Usman is the fight to make, but not for those reasons. Uh, not not because it's not a stylistic thing, just because of what I laid out before. I think it's too new to the division, and. Um, People have just been put in work that deserve it more, like Masvidal and Edwards, uh, personally. So uh, I would love to see Burns versus Colby. Uh, I said that's the fight to make. It's also one of those things like, you know, if Colby wants to rematch, he's got to get past his teammate kind of a thing. Um, he's got to prove that he can beat that camp. Um, and I think he well could, but I, I don't know. I don't know. I think probably Burns probably smokes Colby. That's a fight I would love to see. Fuck, that's such a good fight. So that's my personal opinion. Uh, feel free to disagree with me, as you probably already will. <laughs> but uh, love you, bro. Love the show. Go, guys, go check out the Split Decision podcast. Uh, they did a really, really great episode last week. Um, and that's because uh, <laughs> they both said that um, that they favor Roxy in her upcoming matchup. So I was so, so happy about that. <laughs> and that's, yes, I'm biased. Duh. <laughs> I've said that. All right. The next question comes from the homie Shane Tara. He says, where is Phoenix Jones when we really need him? Hashtag ask FWM pod. Hashtag ask FWM. Ask juice. Ask juice spelled differently. J-O-O-S-E. Um, you're, you're, you're doing that thing again where you assume that I know certain things. i got to look up who Phoenix Jones is. This is uh, something I, know, I normally... Oh, yeah, Phoenix Jones. Yeah, no, we definitely need Phoenix Jones. Um, man, that's crazy. That's crazy. Real-life American superhero. Fucking A. Yeah, where is Phoenix Jones? We really need him. That's the question I want to know. Good question, Shane Tara. I just want to know the answer. Um, he also said, what's more impressive for Burns, the KO of, of Maya or the domination of Woodley? Man, I, I, I got to say, it was probably last night, just because, like, as I said, the KO of my of, of Damian Maya is impressive. More so than just the fact that it's not that like Maya's on the end of his career. He has it's it was so long before that that he was stopped. He really doesn't he doesn't get finished like that. Um yes, he loses, but not in that way. Uh and it's it's it was it was something that he he's not gonna get enough credit for because of the fact that uh, Maya is a little bit older. Um but that said uh, a five-round domination to me is always more impressive than a KO, uh, just because. Even though I hate the word fluke, like that's that's sort of a disrespect to his skills and that that he kind of planned for that in the setup of the KO. But at the same time, it is just sort of one of those like right place at the right time little boom moments that like you know if he maybe Damian Maya just moved a little bit back to the to the to the right or to the left, they could avoid it. You can't avoid that kind of domination that he did to Woodley. Like that was that was systematic. Um, it was really impressive. The fucking gash that he opened up on Woodley's eyebrow was sick. Um, that coming did a really good job. 
there were some funny tweets about that. Like someone was like, uh, I think they said Anthony Smith should should get that command or something like that. Uh, it, it, I don't know. It, it was great. The, the tweets were on fire last night from everybody. Well done, MMA Twitter. Well done. Um, next question from my man Joe Bloggs at Joe Bloggs 74. He says, does Burns move ahead of, of Masvidal, Colby, and Edwards for a shot, or does he fight Colby or Edwards for a next contender after Jorge? I mean, if you've gotten this far, you already know. Uh, absolutely, I think uh, he has to wait. That That's my opinion. I would love for him to fight Colby. That's, in my opinion, the fight to make that, that I really want to see. Gilbert Burns versus Colby Covington. Dude, especially the, the history with Brazil, that sells itself. With how he went to Sao Paulo and he said like filthy animals, which is because he's a fucking piece of shit, uh, with a tired gimmick. You know, that's that's right, it's a tired gimmick. Uh but yeah, you have to do that. His history with the camp, with with uh a hard knocks three sixty five with, with training with Henry Hooft, uh, or whatever they're calling themselves now. At one point it was Black Stillians and it was Combat Club and Hard Knocks 365. Literally have no idea. But anyways, with that whole camp and with him leaving American Top Team, which is in Florida, like now where's he going to train? Is he going to be in the Florida area? So they might like run into each other. Like, I don't know. There's so many interesting dynamics about that fight. And I don't think Colby deserves a rematch. Immediately anyway. <laughs> and still from Joe Bloggs, he says, would you rather watch Connor versus Anderson Silva or listen to Woodley rap for a full album? <laughs> Bro, it's no, it's a no-brainer. Even if I think Connor versus Anderson Silva is a goddamn ridiculous fight that shouldn't happen, uh, <laughs> it's still better than listening to Woodley's rap for, for a full album. And that's sort of like, I don't know, probably more disrespectful than is necessary because he's still trying. Uh, you know, he's still... You know, at the end of the day, putting an effort to to, to a, for a creative endeavor, and uh, and never want to shit, shit on someone's accomplishments. But at the end of the day, you're putting it out there for for criticism, and I think it does deserve a fair amount of criticism because it's not that good. Um, it's for the fact that it's it's just it's not that like it doesn't push the envelope. Like I think music should always try and push the envelope. That's my personal opinion. Like whether that's with different styles or topics. You know, uh, I said last week in my rant about, you know, open mic ego that I think like, you know, intellectual hip hop is dead and that uh, someone needs to revive it. Uh, and uh, Woodley just doing like, falling in and out of love and out of love with you, falling in and out of love. Like, no, stop it. Stop it. You're just, you're not contributing anything. But hey, man, uh, Connor versus Anderson Silva, book it. <laughs> All right, his uh, next question is from the homie man of mayhem, Fabian Gibb. He says, can Blagoy even off be knocked out by another man? If so, who? If not, what would it take to knock him out cold? Uh, for context, this is a guy in Blagoy Ivanov who was stabbed in the heart and didn't die. He's a guy who apparently he was stabbed like 50 times or he stabbed a bunch of people, fought like 16 dudes or something. The fucking guy is like a cockroach in like a nuclear war situation. Like he doesn't, he doesn't go. You, you can't get rid of him. He trains. Uh, and this, this inspired like a whole back and forth between myself and this other gentleman. Uh, he trains with Francis and Ganu. Like there's regular sparring partners. If you could take those shots from Francis, uh, who reportedly, probably not going 100%, 
but I would wager to guess it's more than 50. Like apparently he, he kind of goes a little bit hard. If you can take those shots from Francis and, and stay up, bro, like what, what can knock him out cold? I don't know, a dragon or something, a fucking, I don't know, actual tornado. Even now I feel like Blagoy would just be like, like, I am not moving. You know, that was a terrible impersonation. I've never even heard him speak. It was just a fucking hack Russian accent. I'm a hack, if you didn't know that. Um, but yeah, uh, it definitely has to. It, it's not another human, at least not with, uh, you know, an unarmed human anyway. Uh, and even though armed humans had trouble with Blagoy even enough, bro, this guy doesn't go out. He's an enigma. Fucking love Blagoy even enough. All right, next question is from my man Dave Fretz at Dave Fretz and at Solo Shoes on Twitter and Instagram. Did it for you. Huh. He says, uh, all right, just with the Reebok deal coming to an end, uh, what do you see as the best next step for all involved in terms of sponsorship? Dude, like Fernanda and I got into this a little bit, but um, we didn't sort of touch on this part of like what's what should happen. I honestly think it should be a mix, like similar to what the PFL does. Like if, if you truly want to look because some people complain about how like a friend of reference like Vitor Belfort looking like a F- Formula One outfit or whatever um, I, I, I personally kind of missed that like it looked a little weird a little reckless but at least you knew and like fighters that ha- you know could financially afford to turn down certain sponsorships they were getting ones that they care about uh, in, at least in a way at least at least that was the perception like you gotta you're representing a brand so um, I think if they did that like it's it's so important for individuality and just for for looks but like if but if you truly want like a uniform look do something similar to what the pfl does which is like okay we have your uniform we have a a, a you know equipment sponsor for that whatever let's say nike or or what have you but then we allow you i think they get two or three sponsors on their shorts depending on the on the scenario so um it's 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 something that uh it needs to be done in my opinion i also think you know, if they do another deal, because because Dana said um, on that uh, interview I referenced that it's coming to an end, but that, that they're talking to other companies. So clearly they're looking to a similar situation, whether that's Nike, Under Armour, uh, you know, what have you. They're doing something else, like with the same like the same thing with a different company. It's just putting they're just putting like uh, a new coat of paint on an old car, basically. And so I think if they're going to move forward. You got to get a little more revenue share involved, like especially with what we talked about with with John Jones, uh, you know, airing the dirty laundry. People are going to start to get real fucking suspect of the UFC in terms of what, how much they're actually paying their athletes. You know, the data is out there. You know, in 2016, I believe, or maybe it was 15. Anyway, around that time, there's a class action lawsuit about the UFC, which made a lot of their earnings public. And in large part, it's gotten worse in terms of percentage. Like fucking a. All right. Uh, question is from a man, Cyrus King. At Cyrus King, he says, "Question, Juice. Where do you place Gilbert Burns in the welterweight division? Usman, Masvidal, Colby, Leon Edwards. Where do you place uh, Gilbert with those names right now?" Uh, interesting question. So, when you bring up those specific names, when you say, "Where do I rank Gilbert in terms of being with Usman, Masvidal, Colby, and Leon Edwards?" Obviously, this one's the champ, so he's number one in terms of the, the that structure or what have you. Um, and it's hard because, I, 
like I said, I think Masvidal is the number one contender for the title right now. But that doesn't mean I rank him above Gilbert necessarily or even above Colby or Leon Edwards. Uh, if we're ranking their skills, I actually think Colby would give Masvidal a really hard time. Uh, I'm not one of those guys that's like, oh, he's going to raw dog him and like whatever. Like Masvidal has really f- good takedown defense and underrated jujitsu. Um, so, I, and fucking way better boxing and uh, just just better lots of other things than Colby. But um, I, I, I really think um, Colby would have a would give him a really hard time. Uh, I also think Leon Edwards would give any of those guys a hard time. You know, Burns versus Leon Edwards is a fun fight as well. Even though it like kind of doesn't make sense. Like I think, like people are talking about either giving it to Burns or, or giving it to Edwards in terms of Masvidal getting like a Connor fight or, or whatever the fuck else he's getting. Apparently, ale- allegedly, but um, you know, you could do a round on any of those guys, and, and there's a ton of fun fights. I do put Gilbert Burns. Um, I would say maybe above Leon Edwards. So maybe I would put it Usman, Masvidal, Colby. Gilbert, Leon Edwards, um, although uh, Colby and Masvidal would be interchangeable, probably. You know, because that's that's honestly another fight I would love to see as well. Like with the with the pad beef there, dude. Hell, I love to see it. All right, this next question is from Gringo Enojado at Somos Enojado. He says, "I am sad for Woodley. Should he have known he was too old to fight at a high level?" Uh, I don't know that it's it's that. I mean, I, honestly, I think a, a mental aspect was a big w- issue um, because he was explosive. Like that's how he got got up in the first round uh, from underneath Gilbert and uh, got the you know caused a scramble. And uh, even though he missed a lot of those shots, they were they had speed and power behind him. G- Gilbert just saw him coming and was able to to get out of the way. Like Gilbert was really on form. Um, I don't think there was a question of him being old. Um, like uh, the on the intro I did where I said Gilbert's the new guy now, Woodley's gun shy now. Um, I originally was was writing it, and um, I was trying out different things. Uh, and my wife was with me, and, and I said, uh, I think it was like Gilbert is chasing gold now. Tyron Woodley is looking old now, and she was like, "You can't say that. that's disrespectful." And I was like, "Well, yeah, it is, <laughs> but um." He didn't look young, but I, but I do. The reason I, I changed it was I mean, also because I, she put me in check a little bit, but also because like uh, he wasn't old. Like that's I, I believe is not fair to say. Um, so I, I think just Gilbert was was the younger fighter, fresher fighter. That doesn't mean he was old. Uh, doesn't mean Willie was old. It just means Gilbert was a little bit fresher, a little bit more. Um, he was first. That was that was largely what happened. Is that he was. He was first in all the exchanges. And uh, next question is from Antom Disco Inferlo Zakarzewski at Resticles, <laughs> spelled W-R-E-S-T-I-C-L-E-S, hilarious name. And he said, not saying it out loud because everyone's asleep around me, but it's the porn star question. List of faves, the people need to know. Here's the thing, dude. Uh, I think it was for 249 my man Tom was drunk on the timeline. He was he was so drunk. He made a tweet about favorite porn stars. I threw out some names, and I was like, "You better ask this on the fucking podcast." And he was going to, and he never did. And uh, so now he's he's trying to uh, circle back to that uh, list of favorite porn stars. Uh, so I got to mention um, Lena Paul, um, also Jonna Michaels, 
big fan of those. And um, also underrated, um, I believe his name is Nathan Gray and um, OG DFW Knight. So those are my uh, those are my goats, if you will. <laughs> but uh, just just a list of like favorites to watch. Um, the homie Dean R at Dean Dog Three. He says, uh, "What finish from last night was the most impressive to you?" As always, um, bro, it had to have been. Well, not had to. God, there was there was a lot of great ones. Like the uh, Chris Gutierrez uh, leg kick TKO was was really impressive. Um, he just was like he wanted that TKO. Like he um, let the guy up at one point. Uh, Vince Morales, I believe, his opponent, uh, so that he could get that leg kick TKO. Um, my man was after that, and he was he was beating up that leg real bad, which also made me think like. Yes, absorbing leg kicks and or checking them, it, you know, gets your leg a lot of punishment. But I think throwing leg kicks, a lot of them can sort of, uh, you know, affect affect your leg in a negative way. Like, is that good for, like, right now, I think people need to be, like, taking, they're going to be taking more, like, short notice fights, you know, because of the pandemic. So that's, the, I was kind of thinking, like, uh, is that even good? But hey, more more power to him if if he so yeah, especially come, for someone coming off an ACL uh, surgery apparently, or ACL rehab or whatever he had, uh, ACL injury of some sort anyway. But it was it was it was a systematic uh, performance really. But Mackenzie Dern's uh, finish was was great as well. Um, and again, like knee bars in general aren't like super like wow you know. Uh, but the way she got it was like fucking she cranked that thing and it was the first one in uh women's uc history a, a, a first leg lock of any kind uh, so so that was impressive in its own right um next question is from mma for life at mma for life five uh he said is it time for woodley to retire uh see here's the thing and i, and I touched on this a little bit because he's so adamant of saying like you know they, they they played it on the broadcast and and he said this in his um, in an interview with Ariel earlier this week. He said I started this thing with the end in mind. Like the goal was to be the best welterweight of all time, and at one point he reached that pinnacle. He reached the you know he got the belt, defended it multiple times against specialists, which is always really hard. And there was a time when like Tyron Woodley was considered the, the one of the greatest welterweights, like that we had now in the sport and you know had a question for you know had a case to be made for all time now now that that's been sort of proven not true where you got dominated by two people in a row i think it's time to either reconsider why you're fighting or move up to middleweight like if at the end of the day you 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 don't think that uh, you know because he's a little, he's a bit short, you know there are welterweights that are like taller than him and have more reach, so he'd be for sure undersized at middleweight. But my man is also like jacked and he cuts a lot of weight. So if he were to um, move up to middleweight and have some success, uh, I I could see that being something good for his career. Like Tyron Woodley versus Robert Whitaker to me is like a really fun fight. Tyron Woodley versus uh, Israel Asanya is interesting, but again, he would have to get there. Just whether or not he has the hunger to become a contender again, to go through that division and make a run at the title again in a new weight class, we don't know. It's it's a sort of uh, you know 
it's a hard question to answer because uh, being that he got dominated twice in a row, I'm not like calling for his retirement. Cause again, like it was like with the Kamara fight, he just never showed up. He was out wrestled. He didn't really get off. He didn't throw his hands. And this one, he kind of did though. He tried like he, he, he was getting to some exchanges with Gilbert. Gilbert was just the better man that night. And it was as simple as that. So, um, I don't think it's time for for him to retire. No, but, uh, good, good question. Next question is from Abs Talks. It's at Abs Talks One ABZ, and uh, he does a does a podcast called Abs Talks MMA. And if you like soccer, he does one. I will not call it football. Uh, he does a podcast called Abs Talks Football, I believe. Um, but uh, shout out, shout out to this guy. He says, uh, given that Woodley recently fights around once a year now, it's unlikely he will have another run at the title at welterweight, and arguably isn't good enough anymore. Should he retire? or Should he give middleweight a go? Well, I kind of answered this just now, um, so that it, that's uh, interesting to rephrase it. But I do want to touch upon uh, what you said about his, his schedule. So I don't know that we have enough. Like, I don't know if enough time has passed for us to say that really, because when he got the belt, um, he defended it like a lot, like four times in a calendar year. He beat Robbie at UFC two hundred one, uh, which was, I believe, in July of 2016 if i'm not mistaken either way it was it was a july and then uh later on that year in november he did his first de- defense against wonderboy uc 205 and then uh the beginning of next year in march uh ufc 209 he rematched wonderboy and then the, the uh damian maya fight was in uh, uc 214 august of that same year so my man was keeping a tight, tight schedule. Um, he did have the layoff, uh, where which which caused him to do the interim title with uh, Colby and RDA, and then he got right back in it and fought Darren Till, um, September that following year. And then he had another uh, surgery. So I, to say that he fights once a year now, I don't know if that's fair because he was uh, always very active uh, throughout his career. Um, and I just think there were there were other like mitigating circumstances that uh, won't necessarily always be a factor. Like if he decides he wants to fight again, you know, once that eye heals up and things like that, assuming he didn't like break a hand or something we don't know about, um, you know, he could be fighting again later this year, you know, conceivably. So, um, and, and and I guess to, to to speak to the latter part of your question, I do think uh, he should give middle way to go, just because you know, hey, why not try? Like if you still want to fight, you know give that new weight class a try, you know, at least give it a shot. You know, they, they should give him a big fight up there. All right. Uh, next question is from MMA mental at Scotland underscore MMA. Uh, he says, who wins Habib or Gaethje? And do you believe Dana or John at this stage? Wow. So we already kind of touched upon this uh, a little bit with Fernanda. I do think John Jones is in the right here in a way, at least with what he's saying, it's just, I, I I don't think it's it's egregious w- w- the way he's going about it, and I, and I think ultimately what's going to come out of this, or at least what I hope um, will come out of this, is that you know people start to take a look at how the UFC does business and how they negotiate, because uh, the way Dana was handling it was is fucking childish, if I'm honest. I mean, Jones going on a Twitter rant as well is a bit childish. I mean, the whole thing is like not like great, but again, like when you're in that his position. It's understandable, very understandable. So I'm liking what I'm seeing, to be honest, and I don't often say that about John Jones. 
Uh, as far as Habib versus Gaethje, um, I think it's boring to say Habib, so I'm going to say Gaethje. But I do realize that it's it's a really tough task. I just think like Gaethje like refuses to to engage on the ground. He just, he he has a that collegiate wrestling background, been wrestling since he was a kid, and uh, he has really good hips and uh, really explosive. And I think and, and he showed he has amazing cardio as well in the Tony fight. Like Gaethje really impressed me in that Tony fight. So um, I am I am hoping. Gaethje knocks Khabib into next year. How about that? <laughs> All right. Um, next last question is from This Is The Way Lee. Shout out to my man, Jonathan. It's at Jonathan. Well, I think it's supposed to be Torres, but the O's are zeros, and the ES on Torres is 3-5. You get the gist. Go follow him. Just figure it out. Um, he says, so where does Tyron go from here? 38 years old. He has different avenues he can take, especially outside of MMA with TMZ and his music. He has music or his music in air quotes. That's funny. Well, I guess they're not air quotes because it's it's written. But anyway, if he was saying they would be air quotes. Um, you know what? Honestly, like I said, I don't think he should retire necessarily. But if he did, I would respect it. And I do think he has a lot to add as an analyst on, on the desk. And uh, I, I always appreciate his insight. On certain things, I never liked when he would insert himself in it too much. But again, that that's the the price you have to pay for having, you know, current uh, fighters on the roster giving analysis. They're always going to be part of the picture in some way, and uh, and are going to insert themselves in there. But uh, you know, with the TMZ stuff and his, his music, yeah, I mean, he has other things. He's also also acting, uh, even though he's not a great actor, he's getting better. And yeah, he has other ways he can make money. He, he also coach like if if Willie got into coaching, I think he would be amazing. Like he could be a, a good uh, good asset to the team at Rufus Sport. Uh, he has his own gym as well, I believe. Like there's a lot of things that Tyron Woodley can do uh, to make money. Like you said, even though reportedly he's broke, so <laughs> it's it's a it's a tough question. But but if he didn't have fighting to sort of take up his time and, you know, pay for training camps and training partners and things like that. He could probably pursue that other stuff more. So it might balance itself out in all, in all reality. Well, you guys, this has been great. Uh, this, uh, this episode was, was really awesome. Uh, but we're not done yet. Uh, last, last up on the list, but not least, I'm going to give you my picks for uh, next week's card UFC 250. And I can't fucking wait. Let's get into it. All right, next week's card, UFC 250, in my opinion, is pretty damn good. And I say that because I think I was having this conversation with Chelsea on the timeline. Like, there's a ton of people who like, like, it feels like every pay per view. There's a conversation of like, should this be a pay per view? Is this worth it? Like, half the people are like, this shit is great. The other half are like, this is trash. Like, it, it's it's so it's such like a a cool thing to be like, oh well, we need more. And like, I don't know. I'm, I'm not. That's not me. I mean, I've said that a few times if I really felt it, but honestly, like during this whole craziness, the fact that we're getting fights, I'm just, I'm so grateful. So really, honestly, like anything is, is awesome. And Amanda Nunes fighting like that alone to me is worth it. Like that's like bar none. Like that's, that's the thing. So, um, I want to go over some, some of the prelims, um, that, that I think are fun. And then we'll get into the main card. Um, First of all, Brian Kelleher versus Cody Stamen, great fight. Uh, I got Kelleher, and here's the thing: like he fought recently, and he got a big knockout, but it was a bit of a like a brawl before that. 
you know, he he was taking some shots, he was giving them back, and they were exchanging a lot. But it wasn't a higher weight class, so um, I think he uh, was able to absorb more in that regard. And there's a there's a school of thought that says if you get into those kind of a you know fights and then you go fight again, you're more susceptible. Um, I like to think that um, he's recovered enough, at least I hope. But also, I was thinking about. Uh, I mean, other than the fact that I'm a I'm a big uh, Brian Keller fan, and I'm very guilty of confirmation bias. Um, Brian Kelleher, like the fact that he just fought and got a nice win, you know, one of his first knockouts in a long time, I think it was, is very good for his uh, like confidence. Uh, I remember an interview once with uh, I think his name is Sean. Uh, I can't remember if it's O'Connell or if it's just Sean Connell. I think it's O'Connell. Maybe just Sean Connell, the gentleman who won the first season of PFL at 205 and beat Vinny Magaliesh, um, was a former UFC, had an amazing fight with Steve Bosse, the guy that loves to fight. He uh, trains with uh, Jeremy Horn, who uh, used to fight in like, the tournaments back in the day. And he was saying that like Jeremy Horn told him, uh, and, he, and then he experienced this to be true in the final, that like you know, fighting twice in one night is awesome because you... Uh, when you get a nice win, you want to carry that momentum and then, and then you feel unbeatable. And that's like the great feeling going into the fight. And obviously this isn't the same night, but when it's within that such a short span, you know, just of just a couple of weeks, it's uh, I think it's going to play a factor. Like he's riding a huge wave of confidence of getting that big knockout. I think he's going to carry that into uh, his fight with Cody Stamen. And because of the fact that he had a training camp, at least a little bit before the Hunter as your fight, I think he's going to be more fresh uh, or well, not more fresh necessarily. I mean, you could say that he would be less fresh because of that, but what I mean is more prepared. Um, he'll be um, more ready for this fight, which uh, I think is going to matter. Uh, so I got Brian Keller, obviously, in that one. And then uh, Ian Heinrich versus Ger- Ger- Gerald Mearshart is uh, really interesting to me. And I've become, I've, I've recently, I've warmed up a lot to, to Gerald Mearshart. I really think um, like his videos of like him playing Careless Whisper so funny. Um, if you guys never saw on YouTube, the videos of like sexy sax man who would like break into like random, uh, like public gatherings and stuff like that. And play like, at the mall or the Grove, um, and like start to play that song. Like, like it's so funny. I love it. And he was sort of imitating that in a way, um, maybe not specifically, but with the mustache and the whole thing, like it definitely had that same vibe. Um, so he's funny as hell, and he can he can fight. The Duran Wynn fight was really good. That said, I also am a really big fan of Ian Heinish and his story, and the whole thing. Like if I, I say it every time he fights, if you haven't already like read the um, article that I think the Players Tribune did or the Players Voice something like that, where they did a, an article sort of told from his perspective, like as if he was the one telling writing the article. Like everything is in the first person. It's like I did this, and then I did that. Um, like without it being like in quotes and then commentary, like it's literally written like as if he's telling his own story. And it's so good. Like him talking about, you know, going to Spain and uh, fighting in the pits there and then being a Rikers and all this crazy shit and being like a drug mule. Fucking insane. Like that guy, I, I find it so hard to pick against him because of that, because like the amount of shit that you had to go through to, to then come out uh, like a well-adjusted human being uh, on the other end. It's just insane. So I got Ian Heinish here. I also think like he can out wrestle Gerald and maybe avoid the submissions. But uh, you know, we'll see. It's going to be a really fun fight. I can't wait. Another really fun fight on the prelims I'm looking forward to is Chase Hooper versus Alex Caceres. 
And uh, I like Alex Caceres, but he's he is one of those guys where um, it's such a cliche that I hate to say, but like you don't know if the best Alex Caceres is going to show up, or like which one do you get? Because it's he's so touch and go. It's still like one fight he's he looks amazing, the next fight it looks like he's not even there. And I don't know if that's a motivation thing. Like, will he be motivated to be fighting this young up and comer who's getting a big push? Who's I think still 19 years old, Chase Hooper, like insane. Maybe he's 20 by this point. I'm not sure. Um, but Ch- Chase Hooper showed me a lot of like great things in his debut. Toughness. Uh, he sh- he showed off some striking as well as grappling, which is his main thing. And uh, I think the grappling is going to play a big difference in there. Alex Caceres has those flashy kicks, and I think uh, Chase Hooper is going to fucking capitalize on them. So I got Chase Hooper for the win here. Uh, probably submission, although I, I don't typically give like the method or the round of my picks. I just think he's going to win. So um, I, I see a, a nice path to victory for Chase Hooper here. And that's it for the prelims that I, I want to cover. Uh, but now moving on to the main card, uh, we're opening up with Sean O'Malley taking on Eddie Wineland. And uh, I, I talked about this earlier. I think it's a really fun fight. You know, no disrespect to Eddie Wineland. Um, the guy comes to fight every time, like even though he's – uh, been around a lot, a lot, and you know he's. I, I mentioned him as as being like unranked and not like a win over him doesn't warrant a title shot. That's the part I mean by no disrespect. Uh, you know, um, I, I think he's often overlooked, and in, in those moments he shines. Like he's got some some nice wins in his career. Uh, that said, I do think uh, stylistically his favorite Sean O'Malley. I think he's gonna be able to to time some nice counters and maybe even knock him out uh, as Sean O'Malley likes to do. Uh, and Sean O'Malley actually been working on his jujitsu a lot. So if he hits the ground, I think he'll be ready. Uh, I just think like Sean O'Malley's gonna get it done here. Plus, like I said, they're kind of giving him the McGregor push in a way. Like they're giving him favorable matchups. So there's that. Uh, moving on, I think uh, next is uh, Neil Magny versus Anthony Rocco Martin. Now there is a lot of um, Anthony Rocco Martin hate on the timeline because of his uh, relationship with uh, with Kayla Harrison. And uh, I just got to say, not a fan of that. Um, Anthony Rocco Martin is a solid dude. Uh, the the thing he said in his, in his last fight uh, about his mom going through, uh, I believe, his breast cancer just really, really touched me. Um, really, 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 really touched me. And uh, then bringing her to the um, to the Washington D.C. card with his mom. And, uh, you know, that was when they were doing a tribute to Stuart Scott. Um, so, so cool. I want him to get all the wins. Uh, that said, I, I'm going to pick against him. And I feel bad saying that. I just wanted to reference, like, I'm not one of those, like, haters that's like, you know, fuck Anthony Rocco Martin. Like, he does have a ton of skills. Um, I just think No Magni has the slight edge. Um, and he's got a lot of length on on Anthony Rocco Martin. I know that's a, that's a big point of discussion on the split decision podcast fight geek likes to, to mention it a lot um and it really is depending on if you know how to use it and neil magny knows how to use it in my opinion uh and then moving on we got Corey sanhagen versus aljamain sterling i i went back and forth on this a lot in fact i made my pick and then i switched it because i'm, I'm a fan of both guys and when i when i when that's the case it tends to be really hard for me to pick because I, I just want them both to win. And um, originally I had Aljo. And honestly, 
Aljo winning would not surprise me in in the, in the least bit. He's every bit capable of winning this fight, and uh, I want to see him fucking fight for the title. God damn it! Um, it, it really pisses me off that he's he's not fighting for the title. Um, however, I was thinking about Corey's fight with a Sun Sal and how he just absolutely shut him down, and uh, then Corey's fight with Lineker, where even like. Corey showed like toughness that I that I didn't know he had. Like when Lineker had him in that guillotine, and his fucking blood was squirting out of his nose, and he was upside down. Corey Sanhagen was just like so calm, cool, and collected. Gangster, absolute gangster. I'm picking Corey Sanhagen, and that pains me to say because I love Aljo. I just, I just think Corey has a slight edge here. I, I, I really do. God, that hurts me to say again. Love Aljo. Wish, wish I didn't have to do this, uh, but I'm picking Corey Sanhagen. I'm not have to do anything, but I wish I didn't have to pick this fight. Is what I mean. Uh, <laughs> next up, we got uh, Cody Garbrandt versus Rafael Sunsau. Um, now, Rafael Sunsau is often overlooked, and he's a great litmus test for like you know up and coming prospects. The guy, you know, has has made a career out of like finding ways to win and not like been like a world beater. So he, he kind of gets under and he doesn't like puff his chest out. He's not, uh, you know, braggadocious, if you will. And obviously Cody Garbrandt is, um, but, I, but when I think about their attributes, like Rafael Sensei's best attributes probably is jiu-jitsu. Even though striking is pretty good. He's a, he's a good, he's a nice counter striker and Cody Garbrandt's certainly going to push the action. Um, I think, Cody, the layoff is going to help Cody here, you know, help to recover for his chin, you know, sake. And, um, I think Cody seems motivated, man. I just, I, th- I think he, he's going to get this win here. I don't, I don't know for sure. You know, it could be a shutout. I don't see the other thing is like, I don't see Hafele Sensao finishing Cody and like to be Cody, you almost have to finish him. Like even Dominic Cruz, who normally like styles on people, you know, didn't finish him, and, and what happened? Cody style on him. So I got Cody here, uh, even if that's uh, maybe a bit controversial. Next up, uh, last but not least, Amanda Nunes taking on Felicia Spencer. And man, this is an interesting fight. And I almost wish it wasn't happening in a pandemic because I want to give Felicia Spencer every opportunity to have the full camp to to, to win. Um, she's a live dog in this fight. She is going to be able to eat some big shots. You know, that fight with Cyborg showed me Felicia Spencer has an amazing chin. And, um, you know, Amanda's really good on the ground as well. And that's Felicia's bread and butter. So it's hard to say like, oh, Felicia could, could submit her. I don't really see Amanda getting submitted. So obviously I'm picking Amanda Nunes, but I'm not, um, I'm not just saying that because Amanda Nunes is, is one of the most dominant female uh, mixed martial artists in, in MMA. She's just, um, like Felicia's best shot at this fight is is an area where Amanda also shines. If you get that, and I think Amanda will dictate where the fight takes place. It's going to take place largely on the feet, and uh, and I think she probably catches Felicia maybe late fourth or fifth round. I mean, it could be sooner, it could be third round, it could even be second. Like that wouldn't surprise me. I don't think it's going to be first round. I think that's disrespectful to Felicia. Um, I think she's going to, like I said, come out there and uh, and give her hell. She's going to give her hell. And, man, that would make me really happy, to be honest. I would be happy for her, even though I love Amanda. She's amazing. Uh, 
So that's it, babies. We're wrap wrapping up. This has been a easily my favorite show that I've done in in a, in a long time. Uh, thank you to everyone who submitted a question. Thank you again. I can't thank her enough. Uh, thank you to Fernanda Pratches for for coming on. Really, really great stuff from her. Um, and if you disagreed with anything I said, uh, please feel free to to continue the conversation. I, I want this to be sort of an open discussion, and I want it to be you know I want it to be known that I brought her, Fernanda on because I value her opinion. Uh, and and I wanted it to be to be heard from her and. Everyone just be kinder to one another. Like during this whole fucking crazy pandemic we have going on, the fact that people are getting worse is just disgusting. It really is. Like we're all going through it here, and um, we got to treat each other, you know, more more kindly. So uh, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at fwm underscore pod. Um, you can also email me at fightingwithmyselfpod at gmail.com. Yeah, that's about it, guys. Um, Good night and good fights.